I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as evil twins, steam suckers, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. We are once again back very late. This is the pattern of season four. It's been a bad year, Dan. It has. It has. I almost feel like when we take our end of the year break and we start back next January or February, it's going to be season 4.5. <laughs> we will be those guys. We'll be jackasses. <laughs> I am not even going to try to do current news, guys, because it's been a couple of months, except for we're recording this on July 31st, 2022, and it happens to be the 35th anniversary of The Lost Boys. Oh, holy shit. I didn't even catch that one. So that's newsworthy. Other than that, I, I'm not going to go through anything. Okay, well, I got <laughs> I got three quick ones. Um, okay, good. This is actually a fucking pleasant <laughs> surprise. Was just in theaters and saw the trailer for the re-release of Jaws in IMAX and 3D. Yes. So that's pretty cool. Um, I think I'm going to be able to talk the wife into seeing something in 3D because that might actually be cool just for the, the just for the gimmick. I mean, totally yeah. just for the gimmick. I'm going with you. We might even take the sun. He's been wanting to see Jaws. Why not introduce it to him on the big screen? <laughs> totally not horror news, but the uh, the trailer for Clerks 3 finally dropped. Um, have you seen that? Yes, it made me feel very reminiscent about my life, about getting old and deciding now's the time to make a fucking movie. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea that it's like a movie about making a movie about how the franchise started and then throwing the heart yeah. attack in there and everything. Like, that's going to be a great way to put a bow on it. Right. And the last bit of news, and this will be uh, horror related, Halloween Horror Nights. So... At this point, <laughs> we have four <laughs> IP houses officially announced, which was, of course, Universal Monsters Legends Collide was the first one announced, then the OG Halloween, then the Horrors of Blumhouse, which is going to have the Black Phone and Freaky, which okay. I'm 50-50 on, on scenes, at least for sets in the houses, but we'll <laughs> see what they do. And then uh, the big name drop that just recently happened was The Weeknd is getting a house this year. Now, last year it was rumored that it was going to be Billie Eilish and it got, well, no, not last year, year before last when the whole event got canceled. And people yeah. were bitching a fit about it, like me. Like, I'm like, fuck this. Well, I don't want pop music, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And uh, They both actually make very dark synthy music, though. Well, that's the like, thing. Either one of them could do the score or soundtrack to a horror movie and it would not be out of place. <laughs> well, I went and watched Billie Eilish music videos and watched the, the, the most recent tour. And they were saying that some of the people that were doing the set designs for the tour were going to be having input on the house. And I'm like, I'm there. So hopefully the weekend is cool. Um, I'm not going to be yeah. a dickhole about it. I just want to see it. We, we bought everything this past weekend. We're all set. Okay. I got to figure out if I'm going with you. Yes, you do. <laughs> the other interesting thing that happened was a shirt was leaked and the shirt seems to have all of the original houses on it to the point that people are actually running with this. Um, don't know if it's going to work out this way, but supposedly Spirits of the Coven, Dead Man's Pier, Winner's Wake, uh, Fiesta de Chupacabras, um, <laughs> Descendants of Destruction, and Bugs Eaten Alive. So if that's true, that's the rest of the houses. So we're short one. Everybody's hoping it's an IP house. Evil Dead got dropped because of the movie being pushed <sighs> back. Yep. 
Um, so don't know if that's time to cram in another IP or if we'll get another original, but whatever. I'm stoked to go. I'm stoked to go without plexiglass because <laughs> that was really lame last year. Halloween's confirmed, right? Yes. Halloween's 100% locked in. And if I can go, we're going to take the recorder and try to do little blurbs after each house if we can. Absolutely. Or from the hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> in a rare turn, that's the news for this episode. <laughs> Yep, yep. And a not-so-rare turn with this year's episodes, I'm going to go over updates and corrections from something three months ago and surprise myself as I go, because I don't fucking know what any of this is. <laughs> Great, let's do it. Oh my god, was Jaws the last episode? <laughs> Jaws was the last episode. Holy shit balls. Okay, we're bad. <laughs> we're sorry. I do want to point out that we're almost up to 20,000 downloads. So thank you guys. It's been going strong. I've actually seen us recommended multiple times recently on Reddit when people are asking for podcasts. Thank you, everybody who's been doing that. I saw us mentioned in a list of what horror movie podcast should we watch, and we were listed right under Mick Garris. Whoa. Yeah, which we're not as good as him at all, but that was really cool, and thank you. No. And I've actually been getting some social media responses so i mean it, it might have taken four years and us to not be putting out episodes regularly but thank you for starting to contact us all <laughs> yeah this is awesome and you know you regular listeners already know we do this for fun we don't advertise we don't have a patreon we just do it for fun so when you guys let us know that you're digging it that 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 keeps the inspiration <laughs> going um our our bouts of uh of of absences in this season has not been due to lack of wanting to do it. It's just been fucked yeah. up. <laughs> and this actually was the year we were going to pay for some advertisements and try to start a Patreon. Good thing we didn't. Yeah, I know, right? Once we're doing things where money's involved, we're going to have to make sure we stay on a schedule because it won't be our jobs at that point, but it starts getting close. Like when you're paying for advertisements, you got to make sure other shit suffers besides your real job, right? <laughs> yeah. And we have absolutely been spitballing ideas and getting a framework of things that we can do behind the scenes. And this year has taught us that before we announce anything for paid content, we will already have X amount of things in the can yeah. and ready to go. So there's no wide gap. And pre-schedule <laughs> recording and vacations around it. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't have been able to record today, except for my wife and kids are at my in-laws stuck in Florida with COVID right now. So they're doing well other than feeling like shit, but that gave me an extra day to record because I had a friend unexpectedly come stay with me this week while I was supposed to have the whole week to myself to work on short film special effects in this podcast. Yeah. That's, that's the other thing, man, that illness, injury, work, fucking funerals. I mean, it, it, it's been, it's been fun, but we're here for another one, yeah. and it's going to be a long one, and it's going to be a little bit different than ones we've done in the past. But let's go through what we fucked up six months ago. Yeah, so that we can fuck up this new one. All right. <laughs> Some of this might sound like I'm reading, guys, and it's because I'm reading. <laughs> Dick Richards was the original choice of director for Jaws that Spielberg replaced. We didn't have the guy's name, but there it is. Oh, that guy. And... Dick Richards, before getting the, the job to direct Jaws that he didn't get to keep, had done a few Westerns, and he did Death Valley, which was a big movie, and Heat, which everybody knows Heat, that was alive during that era, because that's a classic. And uh, he actually was the producer for Tootsie, which I had to watch that in film class in college. Oh, okay. But yeah, I don't, he's the one that I kept calling Jaws a whale, and they're like, yeah, this isn't going to work. Oh, he was the Moby Dick guy. Okay, okay. I don't know. He, he's Dick, Dick, Dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
I said that Spielberg was inspired by this movie Duel with these cars fighting and it was like driverless. Spielberg actually made Duel. That's what he said when he went to the tables. I want to do this like the movie Duel, like with the faceless Uh, truck driver stalking everybody. So his inspiration for Jaws was himself, not someone else. The tagline for Duel, I guess I notated this because I thought it was cool, was a business commuter is pursued and terrorized by the malevolent driver of a massive tractor trailer. So it's kind of like the cop being terrorized by the shark, I guess. But Sid Scheinberg, very famous name. We both forgot it in the last episode, I think, was the president of MCA and Universal for decades. And that's the guy I mentioned being friends with Spielberg. And he's credited with discovering Spielberg. Yes, it was fucking the Sid Scheinberg. So, <laughs> Okay, okay. He's probably responsible for your Halloween Horror Nights somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> John D. Hancock was originally famous for theater work and theater directing and then made a short that got him into the film industry. His first two big movies were Let's Scare Jessica to Death and Bang the Drum Slowly. He then went on to do many more things, including a lot of 80s Twilight Zone episodes, and two of his shots actually still exist in Jaws 2. This is the guy that that was supposed to direct Jaws 2 and he got replaced by the, I think, a French guy, right? Um, yeah. The fin going around in the water, swimming around, and the whole pair selling scenes were actually shot with him directing them, and they kept those. Okay, that's what it took him fucking two and a half weeks to actually shoot. <laughs> I believe on the episode you mentioned that he walked off the set himself due to the long schedule they gave him, and he didn't want to commit that long, which might have added to it. But everything I had read, including a uh, interview in uh, Old Horror Magazine, was that he actually got let go because his version of Jaws 2 was too dark and had way too much horror in it. And they were, I think, on the merchandising level at this point. They wanted it to be more fun. Yeah, probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I'm going to try to quickly go through what we watched, at least my what we watched. This is what I watched, really. We didn't watch it together. I just realized how odd that sounds when I say it that way, but we're just going to roll with it, people. Um, Because it's been a while and I've been alone for a week, so I've watched all sorts of things. But during this time, Volume 2 of Stranger Things Season 4 came out, and it was fucking awesome. Metal as fuck, some might would say, because the team bard was there. I will say the downfall of the show to me is the Duffer Brothers do not have the fucking balls to kill off main characters. Yeah. And most of the original main characters, the kids, I don't give a shit about them anymore. Just give me the older kids and Hofferman and, and I'm good. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of mains that could go now at this point. Yeah. I wouldn't care. But uh, I'll be there for the fifth and allegedly final season. <laughs> but you know from the get-go of a season now that if they introduce a character and he's a fan favorite, they're going to die. Yeah, 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 yeah. They could do that. I do want to say two interesting things about uh, Stranger Things without actually talking about the show itself. One, I watched it at midnight when it came out like all four hours of it stayed up to like four in the morning right woke up the next day at nine getting ready to go to the barber shop and i'm reading the news and they had a hard deadline to release the episodes at midnight and they had 47 special effect shots that weren't completed so they uploaded the show (laughs) because it was just the two episodes they were just long right spent the entire night working on the 47 shots finished them and then re-uploaded the show the next morning Oh, okay. So I have to go back and rewatch it because apparently I saw it with 47 incomplete shots. (laughs) And they confirmed, which I don't know. On one side, I think this is really cool. And on another side, I'm like, oh, God, what is this setting precedent for? They do go back and regularly re-edit previous seasons and re-upload them. 
So like the clock dinging when people get taken has added been added to all the previous seasons. See, I don't like that. That's like when a, a news story comes out and it's it's something some event happened and it's so fresh nobody knows what really happened and the press has to run on hearsay. Yeah, and then like more details come out later and they just go back and quietly like change the headline or edit the story right. and just say this was updated on this date, but they don't ever say like we got this really wrong. Sorry. If you um, <laughs> it's kind of fucked up, man. Yeah, if you watch any recent interviews with the Duffer brothers, they say they've had Vecna planned from the beginning. But I call bullshit on that because I I've seen an interview with them when season one came out where they said it was gonna be an anthology show and every season was gonna be different. Yeah. So if that was the case, then they did not have Vecna planned at the beginning. I will say that it does not look like a demigorgon that opens the portal at the beginning of the first episode for Will because it's too bipedal looking. And it does have one long yeah. arm. But did they re-edit that? I don't know. Well, there's there's an interview from way back when. I don't remember if it was after the first season or after the second, where uh God, it's it's on YouTube, you can find it. And uh then it has to be real. about wildest <laughs> they're talking about wildest fan theories or wild, wild yeah wildest uh fan theories and fan ideas of where the show can go and they basically lay out season four okay and this is years ago and it's almost like they took it makes it seem like they took ideas from what fans were saying like huh this would actually make sense because it was a tie-in <laughs> and everything and may have run with it or somebody accidentally let some shit slip yeah. and this was the plan all along probably a little bit of both like most of yeah uh, a couple more shows that are not horror, but I guess horror, at least nerd adjacent. Boys season three. Loved it. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. It was fun. I will never look at an octopus the same way again. No. And Jensen Eccles was great. Like just cold delivering those one liners. I, I want to know how many takes it took him to say Bush like a Pomeranian without smirking. <laughs> I want to know for the love of God, they get him some food and booze and he's sitting there in the hotel room and he, that nobody wrote in a pie joke. <laughs> I mean, where, where were you on that one? Kripke? Come on. Or a, or a bacon cheeseburger with fried egg on it. Yes. Anything. It would have been totally fine. But yeah, <laughs> it, it was, it was cool. I like, I like how he ran with the character. It was great. It's such a fine line to walk. Any, any character where you got to be an asshole, but not be over the top and just like, okay, I hate you. Uh, <laughs> It's really, it's like, you know, Ash Williams, fucking Bruce Campbell and shit. No, it, it, it came out great. Show's getting a little wonky, but yeah. it was great. I liked how when Huey teleported, his clothes stayed. Because that makes me mad when people's clothes <laughs> have superpowers or magic powers. Like a vampire turned into a bat or mist, the clothes should stay. You know what I mean? Like, it, I'm glad yes. they did that. Anyways, we, we droned enough about Stranger Things. I don't want to accidentally do the boys. Um, definitely not horror, but I watched Kenobi. Everybody knows I'm a diehard Star Wars fan. It was awesome seeing Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen back. And I just want to say the scenes with Darth Vader, they made him a fucking evil horror movie character once again, just like Rogue One. There's one scene, I know you haven't watched it, Josh, but like he's walking through a town looking for <laughs> Kenobi because he knows Kenobi's there. And he's like force choking villagers out of their houses and yanking them out the windows, choking them and just dragging them down the road behind him. Nice. And he gets into a fight with Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan starts PTSD from the movies and he straight up whoops his ass, starts a fire on the ground and just slowly burns or drags Obi-Wan into the fire to let him know what it feels like to burn alive while only being able to use one arm. <laughs> he like force paralyzes the rest of his body. And he's like, I'm not going to kill you yet. I'm going to do this more. And, and the fights are Damn. badass at the end. And then, like, there's a whole scene where the mask gets half broken. And you have Hayden Christensen's face. Because, you know, he got a lot of shit for those prequel movies. And it was not his yeah, acting. Yeah. It was the script and the directing from George Lucas. 
because everybody <laughs> liked him as, as Darth Vader at the end when he was evil, but you actually got him in the costume and you have his voice synthesized with James Earl Jones because the mask is half broken and he's like having asthma problems because yeah. Obi-Wan basically had to smash his fucking rebreather so he could even beat him. And he like tells okay. him at one point, I killed Anakin Skywalker and he does I, I shit you not the most evil serial killer grin I've ever seen. And I'm like, he carried that <laughs> scene with his eyebrows and half his mouth, you know? So it was pretty cool, but I liked it. They, they did a good job. I wanted on a vampire kick. Surprise, surprise. I watched night teeth on Netflix. Yeah. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. So anybody shit on that movie. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it, but it was just fun to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked about it on here a little bit when I saw it. I thought it was fun. I think I may have even said there was a lot of elements to it that were Blade-esque in a good way. Yeah, I like the characters. You know, like the chicks were awesome, and I, I, I like the driver. So it was fun. Yeah. I also watched Netflix's Dracula, which is three episodes long, and it's made by the Doctor Who guys and the Sherlock guys. And the first two episodes are really good. The third one went off the rails and was like they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. It was just like watching Doctor Who. So it was okay. <laughs> I watched Jacob's wife on Shutter with Barbara Crampton. It was okay. It was not that good, to be honest. Um, okay. I feel like I watched one or two other vampire things on Shutter. Oh, I watched Mayhem on Shutter. Okay. Watch it if you haven't. I'm pretty sure we watched that when it came out. Like there's a virus that makes people go angry and beat the shit out of each other and you're not liable for murder during that time. And it's got Samara Weaving and, oh my God, is it Stephen Young? What's his name? Uh, from Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my friend was staying with me from out of town and he was describing the movie to me. And while I was trying to track it down for streaming, I made him watch Belko Experiment because it sounded kind of similar. So I watched that and Belko Experiment back to back. Yeah. Ginger and I definitely saw that when it came out because it was directed by Joe Lynch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a Joe, Joe Lynch, Lynch movie. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was good, but it was very, very Belko-ish. I was afraid it was going to be Belko-ish when, like I said, when my friend explained it to me and we watched them back to back. But watching them back to back, it is a very different vibe because Belko's dark the whole time. Mayhem kind of just had that horror comedy vibe going the whole time. Because yes. of the way they're like, I want to fuck right now and crush your skull and Samara weaving, fucking smiling and laughing <laughs> at the sunglasses. It was great. Yeah. I'm going to try to hurry through this, guys. I watched all of the Resident Evil show. A lot of people shit on that. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. We watched all of it. My biggest complaint about it is if you change Umbrella to the company and Wesker to average Joe dude guy, it doesn't feel like it's in the universe. I think that's what I did like about it is they didn't go back to reinvent the wheel. They just decided to make it decades after all the video games and ignore all the movies. And that to me works. Yeah, but I, that was not Wesker though. That is not Wesker's character. You know what I mean? Like, and I love, he's my favorite dude in the show was my favorite thing in the show, especially when you get to, I don't want to spoil it, but when you get to the episodes where it reveals more about yeah, his family, yeah. Because there's a lot of um, different episode. acting techniques going on there. And he's phenomenal yes. on Fringe. He was phenomenal on the uh, John Wick movies. He's always a great actor. I would yeah. say, though, I know what you're referring to, but there's one point where you have Wesker slightly resembling Blade. Let's just put it that way. Uh -huh. And that was Wesker. 100%. Had the superpowers that and everything. Was, yes. And yes. there's an interrogation scene where the boss is like, Oh, so you're not a pussy. There's the guy I know or whatever. And that was Wesker to me. Right. But yeah, yeah. a lot of complaints I saw people were, were bitching one or two episodes in and talking about how I love this guy's great actor, but this isn't Wesker, but you find out why later, 
You know what I mean? Like, like I feel like yeah, yeah. anything you had a problem with actually had an in-world reason. To a certain degree. The first two episodes were very, very hard to get through. There was they were a slower. lot of shit in there that was, yeah, yeah. And there was shit sprinkled in there that's like, totally doesn't make sense. Like, let's beat up the vegan. Like, yeah. there, there was... There was stuff that didn't add to the story that we needed to get further on. Of course, me being the realist and working in security, the whole rabbit thing and them getting in there and knowing everything's on camera all yeah. the time and nobody knows anyone's in the lab, that was a reach for me. Like, give me one shot of somebody going, what the fuck's going right. on there? Just something. The <laughs> only thing I could do to suspend belief on that because it was so blatantly like, this is umbrella they should know was the fact that it maybe it's supposed to be so top secret because of the shit they got in trouble for a few decades before being the video games <laughs> that like they don't want cameras in there they don't want you know what i mean like they don't need evidence after raccoon city well see that's what i'm like well then you do like monsanto and you just let yourself get bought by bear and then everybody <laughs> forgets about your atrocities because you're not a company any you're quote unquote not a company anymore <laughs> change the name of the company shit I'm almost done. I'll let Josh go. This segment's going to be way longer than I'd like. I, I like how last time I did an update episode to just cover this part while we were on a break. So we didn't do it, but I finally <laughs> went to Hulu and watched Castle Rock okay. season one. I'm almost done with season two. Really good. I'm really liking it. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Yeah. Yeah. The wife watched all of it and I was in and out, but everything I saw was really good. The fact that people not related to Stephen King got permission to use his setting and come up with their own stories and then throw in little, little sprinklings was awesome. I started out liking the first season more. I want to see where the second season goes. I think it's because the second season's in Salem's lot. And, and I think that's the only thing I'm not liking about it, but I'm almost finished. <laughs> I have like two or three episodes left and she's a great Annie. I'm just going to say that. Um, <laughs> I'm just mad. Like there was a short story released by Stephen King long after Salem's Lot, and it's supposed to take place long after Salem's Lot. And that city is still abandoned, and there are still vampires that have fucking taken it over, and you don't go into the city because you die from the vampires. That And I don't really, like, there's people living in Salem's Lot now, and there's a mall and shit, and I'm like, where are the fucking vampires? <laughs> so I don't know, that bothered me. And, and the last thing, I went opening night, uh, one of the science teachers that works at the school I work at, his wife was apparently having all the girls that worked for her come over. And needed him to make himself scarce for a few hours while they had a girls' night. So he came in my office and was like, please, please, can you go to the theater with me and see Nope? It comes out tomorrow. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, my wife's out of town. She's going to be mad because she wants to see it, but I want to go. And that's where I saw the Jaws trailer. I don't know if that's where you saw the Jaws trailer. Did you see Nope? That's where I saw the Jaws trailer, yeah. Oh, my God. I don't want to spool anything because it's so new. Nope was fucking phenomenal to me. I'll give you a second. Like I'll, I'll give you a go here in a second in case our opinions differ. I thought it was the best of his three <laughs> movies. I thought it had the most horror elements like that open and fucking scene with the chimp was just fucking insane. You get more of it later, but it's one of those less is more when you don't know what was going on. I'm like, he did that fucking perfect. And I don't know. I really feel like that movie did aliens. Just as good as, as like, like that's this generation's uh, Close Encounters or something. Like, I really felt like it was oh, that wow. good. And I bet he gets nominated for an Academy Award again. It's funny you said that the way you said it, because uh, we went and saw it yesterday. And I had a feeling you and I were going to be polar opposites on this. <laughs> and uh, I, I fell asleep like seven times. Jesus. Worst of his films for me. Wow. Um, like, it's just... the. I don't, it's too new. It's too new. And the things I want to say would be spoilers. Oh, okay. Like even the first third being as slow as it was, the wife is like, 
this is boring. This is boring. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is peel. This is peel. You're supposed to be paying attention to shit. Um, this is, this is all going to be stuff that starts coming back later. Da, 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 da. And then there was credits and I'm like, oh, okay. I still feel like I was in that. <laughs> Most unique UFO ever. <laughs> I'll give you he that. He did something different with long. UFOs. <laughs> that was very, very different. I love the use of technology and having the geek squad guy there trying to help. Yeah. 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 Might need a second watch. Well, right now, what I want to say is that is an aptly named movie. Um, <laughs> Not of Planet Earth? Can't resist. No, just nope. <laughs> I, I really liked it. I, I don't want to hark on here too much, but I don't know. I've liked all of his movies, but I've always felt like they each had horror parts and weren't fully horror, and this was his first full horror movie to me. I got you. You know me. I don't really get into alien movies that much unless they're like action alien movies, like your predator and your aliens. Yeah. I mean, I love alien, but even then, I mean, it's just its own thing. Well, besides note, stranger things, season four and the boys, what have you watched? This is one you may have seen, or we may, you may have talked about before. I don't know, but, uh, the black phone. Yo, I watched uh, black phone too. Yeah. I watched so much shit that I can't even remember. I liked it a lot. <laughs> I'm going to read the Joe Hill short story. Cause I haven't read it yet. And I like Joe Hill. Well, that's the thing. The the story the short story is so short. The wife actually read it to me on the couch the night before we watched. Okay, it. and I don't know. Again, slow, and it was almost like what I knew of the story. Mm -hmm. I was more excited and waiting to see and waiting to see how things were adapted than how it was as a film on its own. So that could have skewed me for for the good or for worse. I just remember feeling that there's a couple of Korean movies we watched that weren't really stand out except for all of us are dead which is actually a series okay yes this is josh recommending something that was zombie um pretty good no it's not gonna dethrone train to Bashan, but it's pretty good <laughs> and everything else we already covered we can go the uh the non-horror route and i can bash on the new jurassic park but uh that's all i really got to say about that i saw that too <laughs> i was not impressed <laughs> if it didn't have the original characters in it i wouldn't have liked it at all but i liked all the scenes with the original characters enough that it saved it enough for me to, it was passable. Like I probably will never watch it again. Yeah. There's, there's a character arc in there that goes throughout all the movies that I find interesting. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> the movie's so new, but it has a lot of the, no, this doesn't make sense okay. from a, when, okay. If a movie wants to be fantastical and not grounded in reality and you just let things be what they are, I put that over here. I'm too analytical. I'm a fucking Aquarius, everybody. <laughs> so when it's trying to be grounded in reality and then there's just absurd things or impractical things in it, it totally takes me out of yeah. it. So. That was that was my biggest beef with the movie. <laughs> I'll probably never watch any of that trilogy again unless like my kids are older and and I finally have them going through the I don't even like the sequels to the original one. I just like the original one, you know. It's so, like maybe if I'm yeah. doing a marathon with the kids, I would I would go through them, but I, I I mean there's nothing wrong with them. They just weren't the original movie, but the sequels to the original movie had the same problem. Exactly. Nothing beats Michael Crichton's original story with Spielberg making it. Like it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And, and how, how do the dinosaurs, not all of them, but, but how does the CGI get worse over the years in some stuff? I shit you not, man. I mean, I swear in the original movie made in the nineties, they had a fucking T-Rex running around. I think they did, man. I think there's like some kind of grand conspiracy and that's why they have to keep pumping out these crappy movies. So nobody finds out the truth. Like, holy shit, that island's real. Honestly, it was a mixture of practical and digital. Like they still use practical shit. And then they digitized part of it to make it look right. There's actually a documentary that came out on Disney Plus this weekend that I want to watch. It's four or six parts, and it's the history of industrial light and magic. Like from oh, nice. George Lucas needing shit made up for Star Wars to they run the special effects industry nowadays. 
and Jurassic Park was done by all them, obviously, because Spielberg and George yeah. Lucas are like this. So I bet Jurassic Park's in there, and it's probably going to have a deeper look than we've ever been able to get since the internet wasn't a thing when that came out. So I'll let you know if there's anything cool in Jurassic Park in there. Well, and I poltergeist have to say, and shit. Like, well, yes. Um, but like you said, the mixture of digital and practical. Yeah. You had ILM and Stan Winston. <laughs> I mean, how can you go wrong there? And that movie was so fucking, it set so many precedents. It had the first digital reface right. in a movie ever. I mean, it's like seven frames, but still, <laughs> like, it's really fucking mad. ILM's really good at practical also. It's just they also have some of the n- most notoriously bad badly aged CGI scenes like Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones is terrible. Looks like a cartoon. Oh, yeah. I bet that's bad now. But, like, you know, you watch the original movie from the 70s, and that was all practical. You know what I mean? And it still looks good. Even when he digitally touched yeah. him up afterwards. Anyways, we're not here to hark about ILM. It was just, just kind of <laughs> interesting. It ties in. I want to watch that documentary because you know, Poltergeist, they fucking did the special effects on that. You know what I mean? They did Jaws to an extent. It, it'd be nice to yeah. see. Um, only thing going back on what you said, I haven't read the story yet, so I didn't have any expectations going in on Blackphone. To me, the movie okay. felt really short and in a good way. Like it, it probably actually only had like an hour twenty runtime, but I felt like I watched a forty-five minute movie. Ethan Hawke was creepy as fuck, which yeah. I like Ethan Hawke anyway. So I mean, that was a gimme. His masks were creepy. I like to had different ones. It had a little bit of um, the Lovely Bones, and it to me the Peter Jackson movie. You know, like the sister trying to yeah, figure yeah, everything out did. and stuff. I liked that they didn't try to explain her powers. Like that she can see things in dreams. And it also kind of reminded me of that 1980 or summer of 84 movie or whatever. Like it, it had really good elements from recent ish movies that I liked. So I mean, yeah. I just thought it was neat. It, it was kind of a unique story. I mean, I'm not spoiling anything. If you've seen the trailer, having a kid get kidnapped by a serial killer and he's being coached by the ghost of all the kids that got murdered before him with each little piece of information they learned. And they think they have enough together to get him out of there. And I, th- I thought that was cool. Yeah. Now that I know you've seen it, I can bring it back to Halloween Horror Nights. Like, I don't see that being a very long house. I can see like two, maybe three rooms. The basement with the phone ringing. From that movie. <laughs> yeah, like Ghost Kids, which could be creepy. And then the, uh, any, any of the masks that he had. Him just blocking yeah, yeah. that door and you don't know if he's asleep or awake because you can't see his face. Yeah. It was creepy. I mean, like, I like subtle creepy. I mean, it was kind of like the monkey scene at the beginning of Note. Like, I doubt you could shit on that scene. Like, when you sit there, no context, the previews just ended, and you see the blood and the carnage and the monkey slapping the fucking shoe and getting angry and knocking its head off and shit, that shit was dark. And that's how I felt like a lot of that movie was to you. <laughs> Anyways, we are 40 minutes in recording right now. It won't be this long by the time you guys get to it, because I cut so much bullshit out that Josh and I say, because we are fucking terrible at this. God forbid we ever deliver a live episode for you guys. We're just going to have to be hammered and make fun of something. It gets worse. It gets worse. (laughs) I guess we'll dive into the episode at this point, unless you have anything you would like to add. Uh, no, just as long as we uh, let it known that uh, this would normally be the uh, bodies of work episode. And for those that listen to the bumper, we're kind of doing a revisited on bodies of work. Yep. It's first for us. Normally, I have a backstory blurb or write on why we're doing the episode and, and how the, the franchise came about or how this director's career started. We don't have so much of that because we're covering James Wan and Mike Flanagan, which we gush over all the time. And we've gone into great detail in their episodes. Yep. I just like to say that there's so many other things out there we haven't covered yet, but with the weird timing schedules, we wanted to cover some things that were fresh in our heads. And we 
admire the work of, of these two uh, directors, writers, producers, and they happen to each have a new movie come out since we covered them last. And it just it just seemed like a, uh, a, a good time to try to revisit somebody for the first time on the show. And I think this is going to be a fun episode with a lot of, of good information and backstory, which is going to make it long. And I apologize for that. But I think we're going to have fun doing it. And uh, a big thing we want to do this season, since we are doing the episodes so few and far between right now until we get caught up is we want to make sure that we are always doing something that we have fun. Cause sometimes we're doing episodes that were requests. We haven't said their request yet, but they were sent in or somebody asked us, we'll do more of that. We have like a Patreon and stuff. And sometimes we really want to cover a movie or two, but we don't want to cover the other two or three. And, and, and we do it and we just kind of slog through it. And, and we knew the episodes were so few and far between this season that we were going to drop Jaws 3 and 4 because you guys wouldn't have wanted to wait two months for that episode to come out and us shit on the movies. And <laughs> if we had the, the format where we purposely shit on bad movies, it would probably have been a very entertaining episode. But the fact that we try to give you guys behind-the-scenes information and try to catch Easter eggs and try to break down special effects stuff sometimes and things like that, it just it wouldn't have been fun for this. However, the two movies we're about to cover is about to be batshit crazy. Especially mine. Yes. Because I'm starting out with James Wan's 2021 film, Malignant. Directed by James Wan. I shouldn't have to really go into that. He's given us Insidious movies, Conjuring <laughs> movies, the original Saw. He's the producer on Salem's Lot that's coming out. I think since we've covered him, he's done. Well, I think he had Aquaman out then, but he, he's got Aquaman 2 coming out soon. I mean, he, he's a big blockbuster guy. He's actually producing Knight Rider right now and a new Mortal Kombat movie, which his last one was good. Crooked Man's coming out. He's doing Stephen King's The Tommy Knockers, which is interesting because Flanagan usually does the Stephen King movies. Yeah. And Tommy Knockers is a good story, but that made for TV movie when we were kids was not great because of the special effects. I'm just curious what James Wan's going to do with it because James Wan is notoriously known for being able to have the highest return on investment. He spends very little money on his movies. That's why Warner Brothers hired him to do a Fast and the Furious movie and a superhero movie because they wanted to see what he could do. And he used way less okay. money than the other movies. He had the lowest budget on a Fast and the Furious movie in the modern era, and he had the one where he had to replace Paul Walker the whole time. <laughs> you made mention of two things in there that I didn't know were upcoming projects of his, and that's Knight Rider and Tommy Knockers, and I'm fucking stoked for both of them. And Salem's Lot. I mean, he's got a bunch coming out right now. There's a Dylan Dog TV series coming out. The movie was bad, but the graphic novel is good. So if it's done right, I mean, his Swamp Thing show was fucking amazing. It got canceled before the first episode aired because they couldn't get a tax credit in whatever fucking swamp they were filming it in. And, and they're like, fuck it, we're going to cut our losses. But I don't know. It was good. I liked Archive 81. It was kind of slow. He was the executive producer of that. You'd never know what his name slapped on, though, right? Um, yeah. The movie was actually written by three people. It was written by him and Ingrid Bisu. I hope I said her last name right. That's actually his wife. She's appeared in some of his movies recently. And Akella Cooper wrote the screenplay. So basically, James and Ingrid wrote out a story with beats and tent pole scenes that they wanted, but they needed the blanks filled in a little bit, right? Because if you think yeah. most of James Wan's movies that he wrote, he co-wrote with Lee Linnell. Yep. So I'm assuming James Wan is your, he comes up with beats and he comes up with these badass scenes, which you know when you see a James Wan scene, right? And then <laughs> Lee probably can fill in all the blanks and do the backstory, which he's good at. Right. And yeah. that's what they had to do here. And they used Akella Cooper for the actual screenplay because Ingrid and James are credited with the story by and she gets the screenplay credit and she's mainly written and produced TV shows. 
And we're talking Grimm. I love that show. She did a lot of that. She was also an editor on it. So she edits also. So, you know, I always like people who edit and then get into writing and directing. The 100, she did a bunch of those, writing and editing. Um, The Luke Cage show on Netflix, like the darker Marvel shows that were coming out. She's done some of the newer Star Trek shows, and she's the screenplay writer for The Nun, too. We can't shit on it yet because it hasn't came out, right? (laughs) As a producer, she's done the new Star Trek show, Luke Cage, American Horror Story, 100, a couple witch shows. She's around. She's just not a huge name yet. Yeah. As far as our cast, Annabelle Wallace is back, which everybody should know her by now. She's recently famous for being on the TV show Peaky Blinders, but she was in... The first uh, Annabelle movie, right? Like, she's the mom. Um, she's she's in a bunch of shit. She's a great actor. First thing I saw her in was The Tudors on Showtime. But I always like seeing her in something. And I like that she's willing to come back for a James Wan project, especially this one. Because I'll get into it in a minute and how fucking crazy this movie is if you haven't seen it. But she plays Madison, also known as Maddie. I'll probably call her Maddie most of the time in the movie. And there's another name. Oh, Silent Night. I think we talked about that. That came out around Christmas time. That, that dark movie where they're all committing suicide at dinner. She was great in that, too. But yeah. I don't know if she's British or Australian. Anyways, we'll go to the other Maddie. Maddie Hassan plays her sister, Sydney. So there's a real Maddie not playing Maddie. And <laughs> she was on Mr. Mercedes recently, which is based off a Stephen King book. I haven't seen it yet, but I want yep. to. She was on a show called Impulse that I didn't know existed until I did research for the show. I'm going to watch it because it's book three of the uh, Jumper series. Okay. That sounds vaguely familiar. That was the movie with Hayden Christensen after the Star Wars movies where like Samuel Jackson, the paladin hunting him down and he can jump into anywhere that he can see a picture of. Uh, and he like robs okay, banks okay. and shit. That's actually a book series that's really good. And okay. she's from book three of that series. Um, she was in We Summon the Darkness, which I unfortunately haven't seen all of. The one chance I got to watch it, I was at a friend's house where we were purposely like celebrating a birthday party or something and drinking all night. And that was the movie I put on to go to sleep on his sleeper sofa. So I passed out in a show called Twisted. So you got to sit and watch it, dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I was all into it. I was just uh, intoxicated and I knew I was staying on somebody's couch. So. <laughs> There's only a couple other people I'm going to um, go into here. There's a lot. There's a lot of people in this movie, but I'm just doing the, the major beats. George Young plays Detective Kakoa Shaw. I love his character in this. I love both the detectives. I'll go into that in a little bit. He's British, by the way. It's really interesting seeing him talk in his native tongue. Kind of like James Wan when you see a Chinese guy with an Australian accent. blows my mind every fucking time. He has not been in much. I haven't seen this TV series called Containment, but apparently he was in that as a doctor. He's actually a couple years older than us, which shocked me. Some people just age way better. He's been in a few TV shows. I don't know where he came from, but I want to see him in more stuff. Yeah. He played believable comedy action star and horror dude, like all in the same movie. Cause you have to be able to do everything in this movie. Cause this movie is everything. <laughs> McCole Brianna White plays um, Detective Moss. I can't think of her first name right now because I refer to them as Shaw and Moss most of the time. She has been acting for a long time and in an insane amount of TV shows. And I don't know why I haven't seen her in more stuff because her dry delivery of comedic lines is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> like she can make me laugh so easy. Susanna Thompson plays Maddie's mom. And I want to throw her in here because she always seems really familiar to me, but it, it's because I watched arrow. She's a main character on arrow. She was a main character on NCIS. She was a main character on, um, 
one of the Star Trek shows. I don't I don't like Star Trek, so I couldn't tell you which one. She's been in a bunch of movies, but I like the mom. I feel like she played something big and something else we covered recently, but I might just be thinking of the CW, like DC shows. And the last person I was okay. going to mention is Jake Abel, who plays Maddie's husband, Derek, at the beginning of the movie. And I just kind of want to throw him in because he's a bit of a genre actor, being Luke in the Percy Jackson movies and Adam in the Supernatural movies, being the half-brother of Dean and Sam. Oh, but he okay. plays a good bad guy, and he's one of those actors that uh, I'm not sure why I don't see him in more stuff. He's also in like Lovely Bones, and he was in I Am Number Four. Like he's in a bunch of shit. It's just nobody ever remembers him. The host, like all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and special effects were done by Spectral Motion and Fractured Effects. I didn't see anything that jumped out to me that they did, but I wanted to give them credit because this movie has some decent CGI. And some bad CGI and some amazing practicals. Yeah. The practicals in this movie are fucking, I'm going to not clip my mic and reach out here and go. <laughs> they get the slow clap. <laughs> I really like the practicals in this film. I'll go into that a little more depth. Let me do my quick backstory and then dive into my giant synopsis of this film that should not be called a synopsis. There needs to be an abridged version. It's called post-editing. <laughs> James Wan made the movie that he wanted to make. He did not give a fuck what anybody else thought studios, fans. He wanted to make a movie. He wanted to make a movie for the horror fan inside of him. He's like, I make horror movies. They're the ideas that I like to make. But as a fan, there's other things that I crave to see. And I want to make something that's like what I've needed my whole life, right? And I've seen him say this in different words. This is something I've assumed was the case. And I'm going to say it the Jesse way. But basically, he'd made <laughs> Warner Brothers so much fucking money that he could do whatever the fuck he wanted. They, they didn't interfere. Okay. Because Aquaman and the Fast and Furious movie made both made over a billion dollars. Like, he's one of, like, five directors or whatever that's made more than a billion dollars in multiple movies. Not to mention the fucking Conjuring Insidious movies printing money. And those are all Warner Brothers, too, if I remember right. Or at least yeah. studios owned by Warner Brothers. And those franchises exactly. have made a billion dollars each. You know what I mean? And And he didn't say... They had no say in what I did, blah, 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 like I did. But he said, he went to him and said, I have a crazy idea that I want to make. Will you please let me make it? And they're like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, he didn't want to make another Haunted House movie. He wanted to make a movie with an iconic villain. He wanted a slasher type villain that would be remembered for being different. And I would say he did that. I, I do like, I don't know if this was like the studio's interference or his intention, but I do like the bait and switch that when you saw the trailers, you thought it was a haunted house movie that also happened to have a slasher that was somehow related to the haunted house. Yeah. And then the movie makes you think it's a haunted house movie for, I would say the first third, at least the first act and yeah. part of the second act. And I don't know. It's in a good way. I don't feel like I was cheated. It's one of those things that you'll probably get into at the, the start of the film that if you really pay attention during the opening credits, it tries to tell you. But if you're not, if you didn't know from that trailer, which you wouldn't, you didn't really know to watch. And it's kind of a, huh? Right. And then you get into the house and you're like, oh, okay, I'm in my lane now. But that's not what it is. Right, right, right. And I'm going to get to the open credits a little bit when we get there. He wanted to make a movie that was like basket case from the 80s i don't know if you've ever seen basket case dude i saw basket case with my cousin way back when and that's all i could think about when when i watch this movie with the wife I, i'm like this is like basket case only good and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she's never seen basket case and that yeah that's it's so basket case and 
I had saw in an interview before the movie came out, he's like, it's not so much a slasher as I'm making a Jalo flick. They've kind of gone out of style. And I liked watching Jalo flicks growing up and in film school and stuff. And he wanted to make a Jalo flick. And it definitely is a Jalo flick. But I got a basket case vibe going into the movie the first time. And then I saw an interview with him, like a behind the scenes making of it. And he straight up said, like, I wanted to do basket case, but people like it. <laughs> I mean, he, he knew what he was doing. Like, this is literally like a famous horror director that's now making billion dollar tentpole blockbuster films. And he's like, I want to make a cool fucking horror movie like I used to watch in the 80s that nobody gets to make anymore. Like, right? Like, he used his power for good. Yeah. You know, he could have made Superman <laughs> 19, but instead he made this work of fucking art. This is one of them when I saw it. Josh and Ginger saw it right after same weekend, I think maybe. And I was really afraid Josh was going to hate it, but he embraced it for what it was. Like you, <laughs> you just, if you, I don't know anyone I've ever met that didn't like this movie went in expecting something else and then felt like they were bait switched and tricked. And they hated the movie because it wasn't the expectation they had in. I knew going in that he was making whatever the fuck he wanted. And I could see all the homages to other things. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, he, he, this is fucking great that he used his power for good. Anyways, yeah, anyways. I thought the bait and switch was great. I, w- I was very, very pleasantly surprised. And I went back and forth on how I was going to do my notes on this movie. And I didn't know if I wanted to keep the twist for the end like the movie does. But I decided I would rather point things out as we went along. I don't remember how I wrote the notes because two thirds of these notes were written months ago. Um, we'll just kind of <laughs> see how it goes. But if you want to be surprised watch this movie right now. It's on HBO max sign up for a free trial. If you already have HBO, cause the new game of Thrones shows coming out or whatever, go watch it and then come listen to this episode. Um, if you don't give a fuck, I'm going to explain everything in detail. So it, I've been told <laughs> that I point out things people didn't catch. Let's just see what's in the notes. And what I remember to do is I drink beer and ramble on and on. Speaking of rambling, let me get back into my notes here. James wife, Ingrid had the seed of the idea. She had heard about teratomas and wanted to make a movie using a teratoma. James then expanded the idea into Jalo slasher territory because he thought he could do something really unique with a teratoma and turn it into a Jalo slasher flick. And Ingrid suffers from night terrors in real life. And she wanted uh. to utilize the way that she sees her night terrors and how they come on her to be part of Maddie. Because if you've ever watched a doc or read anything about actual night terrors from people that suffer it, it starts making her her morphing of the world, as I call it, starts making a little bit more sense. Like not knowing where you're there for real and, and things like that. So, yeah, I personally have suffered from sleep paralysis through bouts of it throughout my life. And the first couple of times it happened, I just thought it was really weird dreams. And then I had incidences of actually going into being paralyzed while falling asleep instead of waking up into it and seeing things happen around me or knowing that there was something just out of my field of view. Yeah. And then the subconscious starts building stuff around it and it's some fucked up shit. I thought it was going, and this was like the early internet days. Yeah. The first few times it happened. Anyone who hasn't experienced that, the whole thing of being there, but not being in control um, and your mind being able to create another world around you and how this movie plays into that, that is very, very obvious to someone who's experienced yeah. it. <laughs> it's just, it's Fucked just up. good stuff. You can tell there's a lot of heart in going into this movie and, and the writing was part of it too. And it was cause James and his wife were part of it. James really wanted to do something he was familiar with, but he also wanted to experiment. Right. So basically, like I said, he wanted to do whatever the fuck he wanted. He knew audience were starved for something new and different. That wasn't a sequel or a remake. Yeah. 
Because that's Please. all you get right now. I mean, most of his movies, even though he's not directing or writing them anymore, but he owns the franchises or sequels now, right? Like and he, he just he yeah. wanted something different. I think it's cool that they were able to to make a movie together, not just with her acting for him, but uh, and her character's goofy in this movie. Yeah. That's because they wanted comic relief. I'll get to that in a minute, though. <laughs> I said this in 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 more words earlier, but this movie goes through the whole spectrum in a great way. It is a psychological thriller serial killer movie. It is a mystery whodunit. It is a creature feature. It is a Jalo movie. It is a slasher movie. Jalo slash and psychological thriller serial killer movies, th- those are all very different. Yeah. They're not the same genre, despite what some people might say or think, because they don't, you know, analyze shit like nerds like we fucking do. But they do have their own things and somehow he got all three of them together without them stepping on each other's toes. And to be a nerd, uh, the grittiness of the whole film, especially with the cop drama element and the night shots, like it actually feels like it takes place in the Saw universe at the same time. Like it's, it's all these different things at the same time, yet it's still one. I mean, everybody always (laughs) thinks of Saw as being a torture porn franchise, which it became. But the first one, the only one James Wan and Lee Winnell actually made was a cop movie. (laughs) It was a psychological thriller. Very little blood in it. Danny Glover's getting too old for this shit and hunting down a serial killer. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it was. He gets credited for inventing torture porn, which he thinks is hilarious because the lack of blood in his film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to go crazy on practical effects because his movies have always been kind of a mix. I mean, he usually does ghost movies, right? So you have to do digital stuff in there, right? Yeah, but he wanted to go old school gritty, like you said earlier, on the special effects, which I'll get into that later. He thought the film needed a bit of levity. He thought it was too serious. So he changed Shaw and Moss's character to be complete fucking comic relief while also being serious and not out of place. It's not like, uh, is it Last House on the Left where the cops are like a fucking clown show goofballs? Like they fit in. They're very serious. They're actually good at their job and say things that you wish people would say in horror movies, right? Like. They're yes. smart to do it, but they're funny. And then his wife, who's a good actress, I've seen her other stuff. I would say her character comes off the cheesiest, but it's because of the little love with Shaw story that they, they kind of put in there. But she's a CSI <laughs> agent, you know, and she's she, it's funny. Gabriel was played by two different contortionists, like actual contortionists. They practiced for like six months, which is how long the Matrix cast had to learn Kung Fu to be able to do this movie. <laughs> it was one male and one female because they wanted Gabriel to appear as a guy for a good part of the movie. Nice. So he's slightly bigger when it's that person. And they completely learned how to do all the fight scenes acting backwards. There's first spoiler okay, right cool. there, because honestly, until you watch <laughs> this movie once, you don't realize how obviously backwards Gabriel is. I know he looks off. Like, the, you know, something looks off, but it's almost exactly. off in a way where you're like, they could have shot this scene at a higher frame rate, right? Like you just yes. don't know what's off. And 100%. Now we're going to get into some of the bad CGI. I know, but it, I kept blaming that. Like the first time I saw the movie, I was like, man, some of this is just bad CGI. But that's what my brain was thinking. Like once it gets to everything, you're like, oh, it's all backwards. And then my brain's like, yeah, the CGI must have been bad on that. Because I'm thinking back to earlier in the movie. And uh, then watching it again, I'm like, oh, shit. You can. I mean, he's walking around with his feet backwards and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because they used two (laughs) contortionists. They had to do everything backwards. And the woman is used any of the times where most of the time after you know what's up. Like once the jig's out and you can see the face. Like you can see her yeah. asleep in the back. That's the woman doing it, okay. but completely reverse 
choreographed fight scenes. Like they're both contortions. I can link you up behind the scenes if you want to see it. It's crazy watching them like on the practice mat where you practice fight scenes, walking around backwards and punching and stabbing and shit. It is freaky because they're in like <laughs> gym clothes doing okay. it. Okay. Not in costume. Like this is them working out and practicing. And you're like, Jesus, they could murder you backwards better than I I wouldn't be able to get away. They chase me down and spider crawl and kill me. You know, the spider crawl scenes weren't CGI. Oh, nice. The theme song. This is going to be kind of a funny joke. Okay. I love okay. the theme song in this movie and it's very strong and it comes in hard, which the like, Hey Zeppo song and saw to me is one of like the hardest fucking, I don't mean hard, like metal, but like that is a badass theme song in a yeah, horror movie to me. Like, it's very it, just, it just sticks and it's so fitting. And the synth kicks in that just gets me so pumped. And I'd seen this movie a couple times for the podcast and I'm watching it for the podcast, taking my notes. Right. And then I realized I started singing with it and it's where is my mind <laughs> by the pixies. Which was used yes, in like, um, it's been in a bunch of movies, but uh, train spotting, right? And stuff like that. Like, it's in a bunch of movies like that. Yeah. And it's it's not the original version of the song because it's the composer redoing it synth, but it's fucking yeah. epic. <laughs> uh, another prominent one is the closing scenes, uh, closing shot of Fight Club. Yes, it is in Fight Club. You're right. That's the other big one I was thinking of. It's train spotting and Fight Club are the two main ones. There is, uh, I have to bring this up. I don't know if there was ever a studio version of it, but there is a live video, hopefully still floating around YouTube somewhere, of Finch covering oh. the song live. Really telling our yeah. age here, uh, bringing up Finch and trying to make him relevant. <laughs> I know, right? But uh, yeah, as soon as I heard the first two bars of it, I'm like, oh, holy shit, this is great use of this. And it's so, and it's just off enough. And okay, I, I got to go on a rant here. And I know I normally don't, don't jump in a bunch, but in this backstory, I'm going to jump in a bunch and just let you have at it. There's been this this big push in movies here recently where they're doing these like downbeat, soft vocal, echoey cover songs. Yeah. From like Nirvana to like all over the place. It's already become a trope. Um, and it's very annoying. The first time the first two bars hit, I was like, no, no, no. And it doesn't. It just, it's just enough where it's used makes sense. It's a recurring theme that draws you back in right. without it fucking it up. It's used properly. Yes. Very, very good use. It's used in the same way the saw theme is. And and what's funny, I didn't sing the bars in my head until like I had the epiphany. The epiphany actually came from me trying to do my nerd research. And I was curious if it was the same composer that wrote the saw score. Like, cause I didn't know if James used the same composer regularly oh. and I looked it up and it, it wasn't, he has done a lot of Juan's recent movies. I can't think of the guy's name. I'm sorry. It'll probably be in the, I fucked up notes next, next year when the next episode comes out. And, um, <laughs> but, but I saw that it was a pixie song and then I'm like, no, it's not. And then I played it and I'm like, that's when, that's when I started singing with it. Okay. I watched the movie again, you know, a couple weeks later, cause we were supposed to record and didn't. And, and, and that's like, it's so obvious. I don't know. It's kind of like I'm walking backwards. It's so fucking obvious <laughs> after you know it. Anyways, where's my mind by the Pixies? A great fucking song. And I don't know if the composer or James picked where, where it came in as like a stinger, but it's fucking banging. Jesus, Josh, we're out of practice hour and 10 in. I haven't started the first movie yet. This is going to be a bear of an episode. Cause I went long fucking winded in my notes too. It's going to be less, but I mean, I've cut some crazy shit out of our episodes before, but I'm not a miracle worker. <laughs> if this one's three hours long, guys, or four hours, just think back to the old days. It's a throwback yeah. episode. <laughs> We're being retro. Because <laughs> this movie's retro, so I'm just trying to make up some shit. All right, let me dive into the movie here. First off, I want to start with the branding, because I just got pumped from the get-go watching it. First, you get like this 
Warner Brothers logo, but it, it it's like VHS glitching fucking up, right? Which becomes a pattern to the yep. movie. So that was nice that they affected the WB logo. Then you get a New Line Cinema logo, which growing up in the era we did, they did so many horror movies and like the, the Ninja Turtle movies and shit when we were kids. And I forget they're still a company sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, technically, I think they're just Warner Brothers and they just, this is their edgier shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get the Atomic Monster logo, which the new one's phenomenal. This isn't the first time it was used, but it's grown over the years as he's got more famous. And I love the one where it flies in and like fucking fights the giant monster and shit like that. But I'll take all of this, like all three of them back to back. It just happens in an epic way where I'm ready to rock. Okay. <laughs> and we then cue Arkham Asylum from Batman. That is the best way I can explain the Simeon Institute's hospital or research facility or whatever. Right. And it's a stereotypically creepy mental asylum looking place, but it's supposed to be a hospital and it's on the coast. And when I say on the coast, I mean like shutter Island, part of a mountain jutting out miles over the ocean as the waves crash in. And you're like, nobody would build a medical place there, but damn, does it look cool in the master shot? Right. (laughs) And, um, we get a little title card at the bottom. It says Simeon research hospital, 1993. We see Dr. Weaver making a tape about Gabriel becoming more malicious and more powerful, and she fears that if he continues at this rate, they're not going to be able to stop him anymore. If you use that keen eye we like to break out on this podcast, you will notice our future murder weapon in the background behind her shoulder. Oh, I didn't get that. (laughs) She starts to deliver some bullshit about rehabilitating him when the power flickers, like the Warner Brothers logo earlier, and a guard burst in saying that he got out again. But apparently, he actually made it to the records room this time. So they say it like that's important, right? Yeah. And he's trying to figure out how to get home is what you end up finding out. We see that a doctor tried to electroshock him and it didn't work. Remember this guy for later. (laughs) (laughs) And then Gabriel is just eviscerating and tearing people apart in a room as a guard preps a rifle as a train gun. It looks like he's about to go take the Raptors out in Jurassic Park. Shoot hell! Like he's prepping, right? Same gun, I think. (laughs) Not really. He uh, sticks his arm in like a fucking idiot through the doorway. I don't know if he's reaching for a light switch or what, but Gabriel breaks that fucking thing in half and uh, get used to seeing arms and legs get snapped in half in this movie. It happens a lot. Bones jetting out, blood spraying everywhere. It's, It's great. That's some of the practical he wanted to use. Gabriel then blows out all of the power in the hospital as Weaver picks the gun up because everybody else is dead. And she kicks the door open and tranks him, putting an end to this high pitched, like psychic screaming he's doing that is fucking with all electricity and seems to mentally be affecting Dr. Weaver. Like she's having to power through it to get that gun off. So there's a little bit of psychic yeah. power in here. She walks into the room under this red light and it really adds to the scene. And it's a fucking massacre i'm gonna use eviscerate and massacre way too much in this episode but it is the best way to describe all of these scenes and there's only one thing left for them to do it's time we cut out the cancer gabriel then broadcasts his thoughts into the radio in the room and says that he's gonna kill them all later and his voice is nice and creepy i really like it Yes. The opening credits kick in, which show a lot of medical files, newspaper reports, pictures, people's names. And if you pay attention to the opening credits, scene by scene, the entire movie is explained. If you read it, it says Gabriel's a teratoma on the back of Emma May's head, who is now Maddie, and that he was put in with surgery when they cut out the cancer and he has psychic power. The whole fucking thing's in there. And I love that he did that. Like, if you were paying attention yeah. and you read it, you just pulled the movie for yourself. That'll teach you. You know what I mean? Like, Wanda didn't give a fuck. 
that goes back to what you're saying. The the original trailers didn't hint at it, and there's there's a decent amount of it's just hyper violence and a little bit of camp yeah. actually in the very beginning of the opening where it's like, what the fuck kind of movie is this going to be? And then it goes into all this medical stuff, and it's like, what? And so your brain's already right. you're not you're scrambled. You're, you can't. You're not going to think about yeah. it. Yeah, it, it was done so well. So Jesse's really good at guessing movies and figuring them out. And this is the moment that I knew I'd figured out the movie where they cut her twin off and it survived on its own. And it's a separate body running around. That's when I knew I'd figured this movie out. Perfect. Fucking entirely wrong. If you haven't seen this movie, that is not the plot, (laughs) but they don't lean on the teratoma so much right here. I don't even know if you know, it's a teratoma yet. Unless you read the credits. I think you just see Gabriel with plastic behind him. Right. And you're like, it's this little fucking monster. Maybe, but like, the way the movie goes down is not given to you right here unless you're deep fucking pausing and reading all the medical documents on the opening credits. Anyways, we'll say that was the cold opening, right? Horror movies like to do those. But we get the actual opening where we see a pregnant Maddie come home to her charmed looking house is the best way I can explain it. It reminds me of the house from the original Charm <laughs> show. It's cool looking. Their um, location scout did a great job in the fucking house. Yeah. Because it's not CGI on like the hospital from earlier but uh we can see she's worn out and in pain because she is several months in her pregnancy appears and her asshole husband is watching some wrestling on tv and we can see that he's a real charmer and he tells her that maybe she should stop working or stop getting pregnant all the time right and he actually starts off kind of nice and caring and escalates quickly but like i said You think he cares about her at first, but it starts to escalate really fast. And he just gets more and more pissed, especially when she shuts the wrestling off. And we get from the convo that she's had multiple miscarriages in their marriage. And he says that and spells it out, but like an absolute dick. How many times do I have to watch my children die inside of you? (laughs) What a man. That is the most evil thing you could say to a woman. (laughs) True. She says that she cannot do this anymore, and he gets in her face, poking the baby in her belly, and she pushes him back to defend herself and her unborn child, only for him to retaliate by slamming her head into the wall, taking a chunk of the plaster wall out. And since it was only the wrestling she cut off and not the NASCAR, he decides he'll be nice and go get her some ice. (laughs) She quickly locks the fucking door to keep the animal at bay. And in all seriousness, he does admit to being an asshole and says that he's been trying to be better and he's quit drinking and that there's no excuse and he needs to fix his inner demons. So I at least give him credit for acknowledging that he knows he is an abusive piece of shit. It does not excuse what he's doing, but you can tell they've been through some shit. So maybe he's also taken the miscarriages hard and stuff like that. Right? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. He he's, he's again, inexcusable, but he's going through this too. He could have not quit drinking, right? Because you notice he is watching wrestling and I kept making, you know, the fucking jokes. But in all seriousness, he's not drinking or anything there. And traditionally in a movie like this, he would have been hammering like some Coors Light or some Bush or something while watching NASCAR wrestling. (laughs) Some fucking natty. (laughs) Anyways, that night we know we're watching a James Wan movie because we get some fucking 
obviously James Wan shots of the house at night and the camera moving through it, right? Like I watch the opening scene to Insidious and stuff for inspiration all the time for B-roll and stuff because he's, <laughs> he's just fucking great at that. And we get a master shot of the house outside and it's completely coated with fog. Whatever they use for a fog machine had to have been like bigger than my house because they lay the fog thick in these scenes and it looks awesome. The scenery is just cool. I don't know. It's just he always does this in the Conjuring and Insidious movies and he's probably mastered the Haunted House movie at this point. Which is why we're getting a haunted yeah. house movie, right? Oh, wait. No, no, let's get there. <laughs> but uh, we see her husband, Derek, like I said, Jake Abel earlier, um, asleep on the couch, and he's awakened by a sound, and then he hears creaking like on the hardwood floor and notices the back door is open. The blender then randomly comes on, and he goes to check that out in the kitchen, and then the fridge door pops open, and he thinks it's his wife for some reason. Maybe he's just like half asleep. I don't know. Apparently he laid off the booze, but not the peyote. Oh, okay. Because his wife can make blenders turn on and fridges open without being in the room with them. Psychic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's almost like the, the villain of this film has psychic powers. The TV starts <laughs> to flicker, and he sees a shadowy figure on the couch. And this scene's done really cool. The TV cuts off, making the room pitch black dark, and he, in a panic, flips the light switch on, and the person's gone. However, he leans down and looks at the couch, and you can see the cushion is smushed because somebody was sitting there, and it like starts to yeah. inflate is the best way I can say, but pop back up, right? And he goes to investigate the couch, and we see the shadowy figure behind him, or the same shadowy figure, because it's like a shadow monster at this point. And it pops up behind him and slams his head into the wall. We cut back to Maddie waking up in bed, and there's a large blood stain on the back of her head and on her pillow. Remember the blood stain on the pillow because it happens a good bit in this movie. She hears a thud downstairs and goes to investigate, and what she finds is his crumpled body on the floor with his neck broken like a wishbone, and he is just fucking twisted up like Superman went to town on him and, and tried to you know solve some sort of puzzle to win the lottery or something. We then see the shadowy figure crawl up from behind his corpse and lunge at her, and she runs. And I just want to say that scene looks really cool because the camera angle and the way it comes out from behind him, it's almost like it's his shadow setting up, which is it's still going to this yeah. haunted house thing. But it creeped me out like the first two or three times I saw this movie. And um, we get this really cool tracking shot up the stairs as she slams the door. But her assailant, who is unseen now seems to slam into the door over and over again until he bursts the door open, knocking her down and making her slam her head on the floor and pass out. And so far we got a typical James Wan haunted house movie, right? It's going to stay on the tracks this whole time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> in all seriousness, I think this scene was supposed to symbolize the inner struggle she had with Gabriel and him trying to get free. And this is when he actually fully gained the ability to come and go. I think her head hitting the wall from, from Derek when he slammed her back, let him out once. And this was him battling her and slammed her head hard enough to make it where he could come and go as he pleased. And that's what I got out of this with multiple watches. Yes, absolutely. And this is the moment where I decided I wasn't going to save the plot twist for when it happened. And I was just going to go in because <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of these little tidbits. When I found the first crumb, I knew there was going to be more. Um, we're now introduced to Detective Shaw and Moss as they show up for a home invasion call that they, they received. And we found the neighbors called it in because they heard the yelling. And apparently they call the police to this house regularly. And we're introduced to CST Winnie, who I'm going to refer to as CSI chick probably for the rest of the movie. But this is James Wan's wife, Ingrid, who also wrote the film. And she is overly excited about the crime scene. And Moss refers to her as Miss Lonely Heart because she keeps batting her eyes at Shaw and stuff. 
every time I watch this, I call her glasses. So glasses is Juan's wife. Yes. And if okay. you if you think about it and look at some of her like IMDb credits, you'll realize the other Juan movies you've seen her in. Okay, cool. I'll have to look into that. But we cut to Maddie waking up in the hospital with her sister Sydney there and wanting to know what's going on. And Sydney lets her know about the invasion and Derek and Maddie says that she's so scared for her baby. And then she reaches for her stomach, which is now flat and realized that she's lost the baby. And it's really fucking dark and sad. Yeah. But we cut to two days later and Shaw shows up to interview Maddie and is interrupted as a Disney princess enters the room. It's pretty fucking hilarious because Sid does not realize she is dressed up like, like a Disney princess. And I don't mean like she's insane. Like she works at like a Chuck E. Cheese's or something. I'm making up a restaurant. Well, yeah. Chuck E. Cheese's is real. She works at a fake restaurant where they have Disney princesses for the photo ops. And that is her current job. And she's just thinking I'm on lunch and visiting my sister. And she says that Maddie's been like this for two days, which is completely catatonic is what she's referring to. And I want to say... Jesse opinion. Gabriel's been driving for the past two days. More than likely. Because she's catatonic later when you know what's going on every time he's driving. Yup. Shaw wants to know if there was anyone who would want to hurt Maddie or Derek. And Sid says that she doesn't know because Derek kept them apart. And Shaw asks about the other three miscarriages. And Sid is saddened because she didn't know her sister had had other miscarriages. She then lays on the bed with her sister, and Shaw decides to leave the sisters be and leave. And if you pay attention, they're kind of getting a little flirty already with each other. Yeah. Sid and Shaw, that is. Not Maddie. She's in a coma. <laughs> this isn't Kill Bill we're covering. <laughs> but we go from here to Moss and Shaw at the morgue, and she says that there were not any fingerprints, but there were upside-down handprints like the purple is hanging from the ceiling. And Shaw wants to know if forensics found anything. No footprints on the ceiling, if that's what you mean. Moss says that the neighbors told her Derek knocked Maddie around a lot, and she says there was no forced entry, and there's an abusive husband, some motive. We see Sydney dropping Maddie off back home, so apparently she's not catatonic anymore, and Sid wishes that Maddie would let her stay with her, and she says she couldn't protect her baby, but this is her home, and she's not going to be scared of it, and she wants to protect herself, right? She goes in the house by herself against her sister's wishes and realizes how lonely it now is in the home, right? It's nighttime and foggy, so it must be time for some more James Wan haunted house shit, right? Of course. Maddie steps out of the shower and notices the streetlight across the street through her window, right? It starts to flicker, and she looks down. That's what catches her attention, and she sees a shadowy figure step out of the darkness from out of frame under the light, and then the light flickers out and comes back on, and it's gone. It's very much like the shadow figure on the couch with Derek earlier. Exactly. Maddie runs downstairs as the lights cut on in the house to make sure that the doors are locked. And I don't know if she's cut on the lights. It's just kind of weird. I, I think it was supposed to be power interference and they showed it poorly in the scene. Yeah, I just thought it was just lights flickering. Yeah, yeah. And she then closes all the curtains in her house only to find the other door in the house open. And it's a really cool montage of her uh, running around through the house in the dark and just like doing curtains and doors. Like I really like how they edit it. This has to be the coolest camera yeah. shot in the whole movie, right? No, no, we're getting there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The coolest camera shot that I've ever seen in my entire fucking life happens after this. Maddie starts to hear shit in the house as the door pops open and she takes off running through the first floor, up the stairs, through the second floor and into her bedroom. However, the camera is following her from directly above her the entire time, and it's able to go over all the walls. And I was curious how they did this shot, and I watched the behind the scenes, and it was done with what's called a spider camera. Basically, you set cables up, 
And he had the whole house. James had the whole house built as a set. They didn't use a house on the inside. The second floor is also on the first floor and stuff like that, right? Yeah. He had the house built with no ceiling or roof just for the shot. And the cables run through the house. And the camera is programmed to run across the cable on pulleys at set timing. And Annabelle Wallace had to practice filming the scene, always being in frame. Okay. So she knows like the timing and the blocking and the framing of where the camera is going to be over her as she runs to the house panicking. And I'm not just gushing here. This is the coolest camera trick I've ever seen. Look it up on YouTube if you haven't <laughs> seen it. Argue it with me later. Any of our listeners who watch a lot of foosball can remember when the spider cam started getting used for football games. Oh, I was thinking actual foosball when you said it. Oh, no, sorry. That was the devil. That makes sense. So the spider cam is probably actually invented for high-speed sports. For sports, yes. I had actually seen a thing on it years ago. But what's funny is by this point, I had decided that Juan had given up on his long through the house shot. And I was just like, oh, I guess we're not getting it. And then when I got this, I was like, I love you, Juan. <laughs> he said he wanted to experiment with new practical effects. And he must have heard about the spider cam and decided he wanted to do it. But literally, like, it's not even a person with a remote control. It is programmed to move across the cables at certain speeds. I'm sure you can't control it. But the way they did it, it was programmed. And, and she had to hit her marks perfect every time. Yeah. It's just fucking amazing. It was Juan's idea from the get go. He's, I don't know, he's always pretty like kind of down to earth. He just looks up the camera and they ask him about it and he goes, I thought it'd look cool. Like, <laughs> like it's not like he's like, oh, the cinematography would be blah, blah, blah. He just thought it would look cool. Anyways, he's never been a boastful type guy in anything I've ever seen him talking in. It's just like, we thought it'd be cool to do this. So we did this. I hadn't seen this before. So we did this. Like, <laughs> he's very matter of fact, but not in a, uh, no, that's not true. He's very nonchalant. Anyways, enough gushing about cinematography. It's now time for the movie to get spoiled again, but by our store this time. It's all in my head. There's no one there. If I remember correctly, she's actually grabbing the back of her head as she said that line. I think so, and that's uh, so that's a double entendre. Yeah, it happens a few times in this movie. It's it's fucking great. Like <laughs> insidious. I like to use that as a good example. Who would have ever thought the kid was fucking haunted, not the house, right? Nah, that was cool and original, <laughs> and it was a plot twist. And this movie does that again. Not the same thing. It's the same style. Anyways, we can see the camera cut to the house and show us that it's empty and it pulls out to the street and cuts today instantly. And Maddie breaks out her toolbox and reinforces the whole house with deadbolts and boarded up windows. Luckily, she had a Home Depot in the basement or something. But what if there's a fire? I know. I know, right? Fire marshal <laughs> would not approve any of this. I can tell you that right now. You have to be able to open the door with a single hand. It's a rule. Yeah, yep. a gimpy hand. But no, in all seriousness, I, I, I don't mean that in a derogatory term, but it has to be a, oh God, there's a term for it, but you have to be able to do it without the ability of grabbing or rotating your wrist. Makes sense. And as much detail as I'm going through on this, it, it's really the beginning of the movie when they're trying to make you think it's a ghost. This is where most of my detail yes. is going to go. And then I'm going to kind of gloss over some things. Probably I say that, but no. <laughs> but anyways the house is locked down like fort knox mrs thompson has locked nancy in the house at this point right and <laughs> sydney shows up to see that her key no longer works to get her in the house and we cut inside where maddie is eerily staring at the hole in the wall that her head caused when derek slammed it in there and she snaps out of it and is startled by a face on the second story window of her home. I want to point out. And it's Sydney who's now climbed up like the fucking rose thing or something. Who knows? 
Okay, Nightmare on Elm Street reference, Scream reference. We'll take yeah, that yeah. one. And she says okay. her key didn't work, and Maddie wasn't answering, so she freaked out and climbed up. And she's relieved to find out that her sister put deadbolts in the house, and she lets her sister know that her mom sent a casserole, but she left it outside because she couldn't scale the home with it. <laughs> Delivered serious and funny at the same time. I like it. Once again, I think Gabriel's driving, though, because she was just standing there drooling. Yeah. She shows Sydney the dent in the wall and explains that's where Derek slammed her head. And her sister just says, fuck Derek. And she says that she thought about leaving Derek. And every time she'd get the courage to do it, she would end up pregnant. She then tells Sid that she wanted to know what it felt like to have a blood relative and be biologically related to someone. And this is the moment that Sydney finds out that Maddie was adopted at the age of eight and has no memory of her life before that. Cue the pixies and the Seattle drone shot. So, I, I think I get into it later. Sydney wasn't even born when the parents adopted Maddie. Yeah, who was not named Maddie, but we'll get there later. If you read the credits, though, you you would know her name because it explains it all. <laughs> we cut to a tour of the Seattle Underground, where the guide lets us know that she does not mean Pearl Jam or Nirvana, because that's the first thing I thought too. And then I did a little research on the Seattle Underground, and I want to go to Seattle just for this tour and the Sci-Fi Museum. Like Seattle, yeah, it's legit. It's built on top of old Seattle and it still yeah. exists under there. And they, they rebuilt part of it where you can safely go or they, they restructured it so you can safely go on tours there. But she's explaining the underground as the lights flicker and she has to dismiss her tour. As she's shutting down for the night, she is startled by some sounds in the dark and she bravely or dumbly, depending on your point of view, <laughs> walks into the darkness to check it out and then nopes the fuck out as the sounds get louder and closer. She runs and struggles to plug the lights back in because there's just like floodlights is what they're using for lighting down there with extension cords. And she finally gets them on and then hears a sound above her and looks up to see someone dressed in black drop from the ceiling with a fucked up monstrous face. And it looks like Gabriel that we saw through the plastic curtains earlier in the movie during the opening scene or the cold open. Yep. We get the pixies again as the tour guide is taped up and tied up in some sort of old structure. We don't know where she's at. And we see Gabriel put on some black leather gloves because there's a Jollo flick, right? And his leather coat and walk around. And he's walking kind of odd as we notice him pulling himself around by chains hanging from the ceiling, right? And then he talks to the woman through the radio and says that he's waited a long time for this. And first for Dr. Weaver. He then takes the guide's phone and calls Dr. Weaver and says that it's time to cut out the cancer, which is the line we got in the opening scene or cold open. We then get a good shot of the murder weapon. I mean, Dr. Weaver's trophy that's sitting on the shelf behind her that we saw earlier as she pulls out a medical journal from the 1990s for a patient named Emma May, which you saw in the opening credits. Emma May is Maddie. Okay. Yep. We see Maddie doing laundry at night in her house and listening to the radio as there is static coming in on the radio. And then the lights flicker, which is, we know shit's going down here. And once the lights fix, the static stops on the radio. I'm going to tell this to you two ways. One, what appears to be happening in the movie to you if it's your first time seeing it. And two, what is actually happening, in my opinion. <laughs> Maddie goes downstairs and sees a woman run by screaming. All six cents like. I mean, it's really like one of those really creepy M. Night Shyamalan shots where you just see something. What the fuck was that? Right. And yeah. she realizes her head's bleeding again from the back and goes to the washing machine. She sees a woman screaming from behind the clear door of the washer. Also six cents style. It's like the kid showing up puking in the tent. Right. 
And the woman's yelling, what are you doing in my house? And Maddie realizes that she is paralyzed and can't move. And she sees Gabriel walk by and grab the woman who is Dr. Weaver. We know he slams her on the ground and the location changes as she hits the ground. It's really fucking cool. Like you see in Maddie's house and the moment the body hits, it's lined up perfectly and the set changes. Fucking love it. Yeah. Maddie then watches her world slowly morph into this other house as she's laying on the floor paralyzed. And Gabriel says time to cut out the cancer through the TV and brutally murders Dr. Weaver with the trophy after slamming her around a bit in the kitchen. And Maddie just watches helplessly crying. What actually (laughs) happened is that when the lights flickered, Gabriel took over Maddie's body and left the house. And Maddie thinks she's walking around the house doing laundry because that's what Gabriel made her see. And then the haunted house shit happens. But it's actually Gabriel doing his thing as she watches. What did you do for me? To show you what the cancer has become. I do got to say, given that it's not a real reveal, when when the when Gabriel's revealed and actually doing stuff um, at that point in the first watch of the movie, I, I elbowed the wife and I'm like, Oh, okay. Here it was a conjoined twin. And the opening was letting us know they got separated and somehow it's gotten out and it's on a killing spree, which is what I said. Right. That's what I thought on the opening yeah. scene on first watch. Yeah. But it took me till here that I'm like, this is, this is what's going on. I'm like, it's like basket case. Like yeah. the, 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 the bad part gets cut off and goes and does its own thing. Not realizing how much cooler it really was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is the point where Maddie snaps back into reality, into the floor of her own home where her head's been bleeding all over the floor because, well, we'll, we'll get into the because later. Every time <laughs> shit goes down, her head's bleeding. If you pay attention. Yep. We see the crime scene with Shaw Moss and CSI winning. I don't know what the fuck CST is. I guess technician crime scene technician. Sure. Thought they were crime scene investigators, but maybe they do shit different in Seattle. It's the heroin capital of the world, after all. (laughs) None of that might be true, but you know. She says that Weaver was killed by the trophy and that she only has half of the trophy. Shaw says she needs to find the other half, and Winnie says, don't we all? And she (laughs) stares at him doe-like, because you got to find your (laughs) other half, right? Then somebody, I think it's Moss says the brutality matches the other murder. It could be CSI yeah. Wendy, but somebody says it, right? Like the, the this murder was the same person because they're fucking crazy and has super strength. But that doesn't really get mentioned with those words ever. We then cut to Gabriel fashioning the other half of the trophy in his lair into a unique slasher weapon as our tour guide watches helplessly tied up and it is really cool it, it, it's good scenery it kind of reminds me of ash making the um chainsaw the first time right yeah. uh probably the picks he's playing but if not it's some epic music and it's 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 a unique weapon you can't tell me it's not no no it's like some fucking minecraft shit like i'm gonna need some of this some of this well it's it's the <laughs> the trophy and it's using the um there's a term for it i'll put it on the corrections next time but it's the old like greek or roman mythology with the snakes intertwined and it, it's the sign for a doctor uh it's the the staff of life is what that iteration of it is called but the actual symbol is very ancient but yeah it's it, it's the staff of life yeah the, the, and, and that's the what the statue is and it's, around it. it's a believable medical statue that dr weaver would have got had she not been committing war crimes and experimenting on people actually i make that <laughs> joke but when you know what's going on she really was trying to help the girl and didn't do anything crazy like it's not like they made the teratoma <laughs> she was trying to remove no, it no no right 
but yeah, it, it's a cool looking slasher weapon. It's it's nice how he got it, right? Like it has a backstory. Yeah, yeah, it's sentimental. <laughs> we see Sid checking on Maddie as she's puking and watching the news because she saw the whole murder. She says, and. Sydney's really understanding of her sister for some reason. I don't know why. It's never really explained, but she's like, <laughs> never in her head is she like, bitch, you crazy. <laughs> she's like, you must be right, you know? And we see Shaw and Moss back at the station going through Weaver's files on sick kids and trying to find out more about this MMA person because I think everything was open to that. And Shaw hands the pick of MMA to the sketch artist in the station and ask him to age this girl up 30 years. We need to have a killer scare every 10 minutes to make this a horror movie. Um, <laughs> so let's let her rip. Okay. So we cut to the shock therapy guy that I said to remember from earlier. And he's on the phone talking about Weaver being gutted and how kind she was for helping people. But he doesn't want to talk about the Simeon incident <laughs> because those were yeah. different times. So, Maybe they were doing shady shit there, and then she helped kids and was a good doctor. Who knows? The phone goes staticky and drops, and the dude turns around to find his window open and wet footprints walking through the room. I don't mean like physically step by step, but he can see where somebody walked through the window with wet footprints yeah. into his dark closet. He turns the lights on in the closet, but nothing's in there. And for some reason, he accepts this and grabs the towel and cleans up the watery footprints. Not a thing I would have done. Let's just write it off as psychic powers, okay? These are not the droids you were looking for. He then looks out his window towards this giant fucking red neon sign that changes colors that would be annoying as fuck, and nobody with that kind of money would live in a place and deal with that, but we get some really cool lighting for this scene. So let's just allow. Yeah. And we can see that Gabriel's behind him, but the dude turns around randomly, and there's nothing there. Parkour. It's going to be a theme in a bit. You would think yep. that he would need to look up, but no, the camera goes to under his bed to his Achilles tendon, right? And, oh no, they're going to cut the tendon. I hate it when this happens in movies because it freaks me the fuck out. And I think about it sometimes when I step out of bed, but oh wait, he's safe. There's no slashing. No tendon got cut. We just got faked by James Wan. We then cut to Maddie asleep in her bed during a thunderstorm and she rolls over and the neon red light comes into her face like she's laying in the other room and we see the man laying in her bed. She starts screaming, unable to move as the room morphs into the other dude's room and Gabriel climbs out from behind her over her body into the bed over the other dude and stabs the fucking shit out of him. Both Maddie and us get a good look at Gabriel's fucked up face. And this is one of the scenes, if you've seen the movie already, <laughs> the arms are bending the wrong way when they're stabbing and the legs have the boots pointed up towards the ceiling. Like if your knees bent, your toes should be pointed down, but they're not. Yeah. But you don't notice that unless you know, you just think it's fucking weird, man. And you don't know why. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Maddie wakes up screaming with blood on her pillow again, and Sydney comes in to see what's up. So I guess Sydney's staying with her at this point. I don't think it was explicitly said, but I guess enough fucked up shit's happened that she she's a Disney princess. She can do whatever fuck she wants. She took matters in her own hand. <laughs> Maddie tells her that he killed again, but this time she saw his face. We cut to Maddie giving a statement to the police at the station with Sydney, air quotes, trying to help. <laughs> yeah. 
She said they should understand the psychic bond that Maddie and the killer would have developed after the first attack since they talk with psychics all the time. And Maul's <laughs> tells Sydney that that's bullshit. And Sydney's like, no, 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 no. I played a cop once on TV and there were definitely psychics there. Right. Because <laughs> you get that she's, a, she's an aspiring actress that is currently acting as a Disney princess at a birthday pizza place. Hey, was that her porn? <laughs> Moss calls her Wikipedia Brown, which is a kid that loved the Encyclopedia Brown books growing up. Love that shit because you do use Wikipedia instead of Encyclopedia. Now, have you seen an Encyclopedia printed in the past like twenty years? Fuck no. No, like I often wonder, like the two or three sets that got thrown away growing up. Like if I right. just held on to one of those, <laughs> I laugh harder than I should every time Moss calls Sydney Wikipedia Brown, but. Sydney responds with, let's go check out this place then. And if we're wrong, you can lock Maddie up in the psych ward and put the cuffs on me. And then she realizes that was a bad idea to say that. And uh, Shaw seems to be thinking about her in cuffs is the face you get. Yep. Maddie leads them to the building, which is easy to find because the giant fucking neon sign that shouldn't be in a nice part of town outside your window. And I'm just saying that because he's a doctor of some kind and he stayed in an apartment with the I can't sleep at night because my eyeballs get burned with my lids closed. I, I, I guess he could have used shades, but he didn't. I'm going to bitch about this regularly because it's, it doesn't make any sense, but it looked cool. So I'm over it again. Maybe it's a family home. It's an apartment. And it's got, 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 got sentimental value. Maybe it's a family condo. apartment. <laughs> Con, it could be a condo. You're right. could be in a historic district. It reminds me, though, of when dudes in the hotel room in uh, Dead Silence in the like the vacancy sign just outside the window I or think something so. like that. So you get you get the weird glow and it's one of the first times you really see time stop and all that shit. Uh, I need to go back and watch it to see if that's just shit building up my head. But it reminded me of that. It felt like a it was a throwback to that. Anyways, God, this is going to be a 19 hour episode. Um, <laughs> the cops go room to room in the building until they find the body. Right. They're about to give up. but They find it. I'm not going to go through all that. We cut back to the station where Shaw and Moss are standing with Maddie and Sid with a sketch of Gabriel. So I'm putting out a bolo on Sloth from the Goonies. <laughs> you can tell this movie's made by somebody from our generation. This is just great. <laughs> the jokes are spot on. It's something we would have said, hands down. Anyways, Maddie yes. goes to the bathroom to wash her face, and she gets a call from an unknown number on her staticky-ass phone. She needs better service, right? Or it's psychic powers. <laughs> Gabriel responds by saying that her fake mom gave her the name Maddie and her shitty marriage gave her the name Mitchell, but she will always be Emily to him. She wants to know who it is on the phone. And he says that she knows, even though they said he was in her head <laughs> and he's going to make them all pay one by one. She yells, Gabriel, no, randomly. When he says this, which means she actually does know who it is subconsciously, and he's pleased now because she has now admitted she always knew it was Gabriel. See, this is this is the part. This is funny. It gets to this part of the movie first time watching. I'm like, oh, oh god, I get it now. So she had an imaginary friend. The previews leaned heavy on the imaginary friend. Yeah, yeah. It's like so the teratoma fucked up her brain. She thought her imaginary friend was real, and now there's some evil fucking possession thing going on, and she's the only one who's who knows what it is. Like I'm, I'm off on a whole fucking tangent here. I'm not picking up on it's her. I'm, I'm not there. At You're all, trying dude. to figure out what subgenre of horror or thriller this is, and what you haven't realized at this point, because nobody did, is that it's all of them. <laughs> the answer is literally all of the above. 
Right. That list I gave you earlier at the beginning about the psychological thriller, Jalo slasher, creature, feature, whodunit, blah, blah. I don't even know what the fuck I said because that was seven hours ago. And and the answer is all of them. (laughs) But we cut from this bathroom scene to Shaw and Sydney hitting it off at the desk as Maddie runs out to grab Sydney to go. And as they leave, the sketch artist comes up with a slurpee or whatever the fuck. And he says to Shaw that he must have brought her in because of the aged up photo. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, you asked me to age that photo of that girl up. I'll put it on your desk. And he goes through a pile of shit on his desk and he finds a sketch drawing of Maddie. So when the guy aged up MMA, he drew Maddie. Yep. We then cut to the car where Maddie's explaining everything to Sydney and letting her know that the cops will think that it's her since she was the patient of these people. And she tells him that she knows the killer is Gabriel and he's from her past somehow. And he must've been just someone she knew. And she's just now remembering, right? Cause she has amnesia from before she was eight. Yep. Or severe brain trauma. As some might would call it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The girls must really like that casserole. Cause they head off to mom's house to see her again. And Maddie asked her mom if during the adoption, did anyone mention her having a sibling or anything? And mom says no. And then Maddie asks, who is Gabriel, which makes mom shit a brick is the best way I can explain it. And she breaks out some old VHS tapes from, I think it's Maddie's ninth birthday. So if they got her when she was eight, it's her first birthday after being adopted. And it's a party where no one showed up because they all thought Maddie was weird. But on the videotape, she argues with her imaginary friend and calls him Gabriel. And she tells her family on the VHS tape that Gabriel just told her that they're not her real family. Right. And Josh is buying all of it. Oh, yeah. Because it's the ghost. <laughs> it's the slasher or possessed. Yeah, yeah. We cut to a Christmas tape from the same year where Maddie's talking to Gabriel on a toy phone, begging him not to hurt the soon to be their baby. Very poltergeist inspired. I feel like. Yes. I love it. It's allowed. This isn't a ripoff. This is an homage to the classics from when you were a child and you're our age. But basically, Maddie's mom says that she knows Maddie went through some shit as a kid, and she just figured Gabriel was an imaginary friend she invented as a coping mechanism to adjust to her new life. Fair. <laughs> Back at the station, Shaw's going through Dr. Weaver's journals, and he finds one of them's like a, a false book with like a little safe drawer thing in it, or the pages cut out or whatever. And there's a pile of USB sticks in there. So he takes one, plugs it in, and figures out that Weaver and Fields work together, which Fields was the shock therapy dude that died, and Weaver was the one in the beginning, and that they also worked with a Dr. Gregory on MMA, and he would be next. On a side note, as a cybersecurity person that runs an IT department, kids don't ever plug in a random USB stick that you find anywhere. Ever. It's the main way to hack. People go to business parking lots and police station parking lots, and they just throw USB sticks with Trojans on them in, in the fucking parking lots that you'll plug it in and see what's on it. And they now own you. That is exactly right. And that's what I was yelling <laughs> to Ginger when we saw this in the theater. I'm like, ain't no cop going to fucking do that. <laughs> you get a little piece of shit laptop that you don't care what happens to it. You air gap it. And then you see what's on. Yes. I like this man. Stick. <laughs> I would be out of business if more people thought like Josh. And I say business, I don't run a private business. I just mean like you need IT because people will plug fucking anything in. Yes. And that's when you find out there's ransomware called Thor. But yeah, we try to make this podcast educational, not just about films. We got to Maddie as she's brushing her teeth and the world starts to morph as I think I've been calling it 
for the past 24 hours into a man's bathroom and Gabriel steps out from behind her blocked by her again. I love the way they do these with this B.A. Baracus blade. <laughs> I fucking love this weapon. It looks so cool. And the way you hold it, it would be super comfy. Anyway, Shaw shows up to the house because he's figured everything out now. He's super cop, but he's too late because there's a fucking massacre in the bathtub. Maddie can see Shaw in the bathroom with her, and she's yelling to Shaw, he's still here, but Shaw can't see or hear her, because we still don't know what the fuck is going on at this point. And we can see that Gabriel is on the ceiling in the corner, and he jumps down with that ugly fucking face on the screen, or like his extreme <laughs> close-up, and Shaw manages to survive the battle with only minor cuts, because he pops off some shots at Gabriel, who runs away. If you didn't catch this, anybody, Josh, all three of our listeners... It is so fucking awesome because Gabriel sees the gun comes up, decides he ain't bulletproof, takes off running down the hallway, but cuts the corner to the right, even though the hallway goes left and then runs backwards down. Yeah. And you don't know it until you know it. Yep. So they tried to make Gabriel always move backwards unless it was advantageous for him to move the other way for a second. And there's hints through there that was done intentionally. So there are scenes like that where he has to dodge something and he'll run normal uncontorted and then it contorts back instantly and goes the other way they're really subtle really quick and i think they're literally just there to add to the it's it's like the ring girl moving right or any japanese ghost girl right and you're like oh it's just fucking weird like you don't know what's going on it's more obvious with the ghost girl but like you get that feeling and the only reason that's weird is because it's a human being walking backwards with their joints pop the wrong way yep i say only reason but that's some fucked up shit <laughs> well it's that whole thing of like What's scarier, like a creepy monster or something recognizable, but just off kilter right. enough to make you confused and uncomfortable? That's the whole ambidextrous fucking angle here. Yeah. But really, like, even if it's your first time watching the movie, that's the first time you, you can notice something's fucked up. Yeah. Because it's long enough to realize that he runs one way and then turns the other. And it's almost like, uh, God, what movie is it? It's Terminator 2. When the T-1000 gets thrown into the wall face first and then the face pops out the other side and he comes back out running, it kind of does that. Yep. But it doesn't because it's an actual person popping their joints back and forth. It's cool as shit. <laughs> contortionist or the devil. Any contortionist listeners we have, we love you. But you can do some scary-ass yeah. horror scenes. Shaw decides to chase after creepy-ass Gabriel, who is yelling parkour as they dive down the fire escape. Through the alleyway. <laughs> Not actually, but it, actually, Gabriel doesn't need help by yelling parkour. It just works. It, it's really cool the way he's yeah. going down. And Shaw looks down like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? I guess I'm going to run down as fast as I can the normal way, which causes him to trip and fall a bunch of times and flip off and land on a garbage can. And he actually like gets fucked up and the wind knocked out. him. he's like, what the fuck? I love the whole chasing because it's like a normal movie. The cop would have scaled the fucking... Fire escape in a more human way than the killer did, but in an inhuman way still. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm good. Like, <laughs> we're going to run and trip because we're running too fast, and this isn't proper OSHA safety on these ladders, <laughs> right? Exactly. Anyways, they make it to the ground. Shaw gets up breathless, and Gabriel, like, spider runs down the sidewalk and kicks a grate in upside down and slides in. It's fucking cool looking and crazy at the same time. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Just. Throughout all this, Gabriel looks creepy, Shaw looks confused, and he's got to chase the person. But anytime he gets within a decent range, Shaw will always pop off a few shots on Gabriel, which causes Gabriel to parkour, and then Gabriel will vanish, and Shaw doesn't know where he's at, and then Gabriel will jump, 
Shaul, and then Shaul will survive barely, and then Gabriel will get away again. And it repeats in a lengthy action scene. I'm making it sound like shit, but we're not an action movie podcast. It's actually really cool how they did it and the use of shadows and whatnot. And it's really fun to watch. But yeah, it's a, it's a cat and mouse game. And Shaw being human after all this is done finally has to catch his breath. Fuck me. We cut to the next day and Shaw and Moss are at Maddie's house telling her and her sister that the doctors that worked on her while she was Emily May have been the victim so far. And Shaw offers for a hypnotherapist to come see Maddie to see if she can remember anything from before she was eight. And Sydney's like, yes! Like, she just knew. She knew that this is how shit works. <laughs> She's not a psychic, goddammit. <clears throat> hypnotherapist is not a fucking psychic, if anyone <laughs> wondered. <laughs> and uh, apparently this hypnotherapist makes house calls because we now see her sitting in the other recliner. I swear recliners just appear in this fucking living room. But anyways, she puts Maddie under and she's talking about being with her new family and at her new house and that Gabriel is there because he followed her home from the hospital. And she says that she's the only one who can see Gabriel and that he would do bad things and then get her blamed for it. Also, you only see her dad in this one scene. It's the guy that played Swamp Thing in the James Wan Swamp Thing show. Loved him in Swamp Thing. Oh, okay. Sweet. But uh, at this point, Maddie gets another Poltergeist Fisher-Price phone call. It was rhymed. I didn't even mean to make it rhyme. But uh, it's from good old Gabe here, and she tells him to fuck off. But he has other plans. He tricks Maddie into going and getting a good surprise out of her mom's stomach. That is the unborn fetus of her little sister. Right. Well, I made the scene sound worse than it actually is. She thinks she's <laughs> going to cut what? a piece of cake for her mom. Right. Because she got in trouble earlier and blamed Gabriel for making her fuck with the icing on the cake. Right. So she goes to said cake with a knife to cut the cake out for her mom. Because Gabriel says there's a nice surprise on the inside of the cake. And mom would really like it. And then little Maddie is standing there as the room morphs into her parents' bedroom and she's standing over her mom's pregnant belly with a kitchen knife, ready to cut the baby out. She starts to scream as she realizes what's happening and she says it was not her, it was Gabriel. We cut back to grown-up Maddie in the living room as she's screaming that it was not her, it was Gabriel and the psychic is freaking the fuck out at this point. And <laughs> Sydney makes her wake Maddie up and when she does, she recalls waking up in strange places her whole life, you know, pre-adoption and a little bit afterwards, and that Gabriel must have been controlling her during those times. Yeah, because she didn't even drink back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know if she drinks now. We never see it. Apparently, she's, she's pregnant, pregnant all the time. You can't drink when you're pregnant. <laughs> you shouldn't anyways. If we ever teach you anything on this podcast, don't plug in random USB sticks, all <laughs> listeners, and female listeners, don't drink while pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Those are about the only facts I know in life. <laughs> but basically what Maddie has figured out at this point is that Gabriel knew Maddie wouldn't need Gabriel anymore once she had a little sister or a little sibling, yep. right? Because she needs somebody to be attached to. It's a natural need she has. And she has Gabriel right now. And uh, Maddie has better puns than me because she says that the killer was hidden in the back of her head the whole time. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Moss is not convinced that the killer's her imaginary friend because Moss is supposed to be our voice of reason here, right? And Shaw's her voice of reason that's horny. <laughs> but anyways, we get another 
bright and beautiful sunny day that Seattle is known for as the hellacious thunderstorms drop. And <laughs> we can see in Gabriel's lair that the tour guide finally gets a hand free and grabs something to cut the rest of the bindings off. And she drops down because she's actually like, not only is she bound by her hands and legs, she's actually elevated off the ground. So she falls a bit and hits the floor. And as she hits the floor, the shit hits the fan. And what I mean by hits the fan, she falls through the attic floor that she is in through a fan. I don't know if there's actually a fan there, but it, it just, I don't know, it works in my head. And uh, she falls <laughs> into Maddie's living room, slams through a coffee table into the floor as Moss and Shaw were leaving her house. And we get the epic theme song again as Maddie screams in super slow-mo and gets arrested. Straight up shocked the fuck out of me the first time I saw this movie. Oh, yeah. Never considered that Gabriel had the tour guide locked up in Maddie's attic in her own house. Yeah, that was epic. I don't remember ever seeing that in a film. That was original. It was awesome. Well, Black Christmas did hide bodies in the attic. This is true. They didn't fall through the floor, though, while the cops are in the room. The timing was epic. I love it. Love it. And you get that song just fits, man. It was meant to be made in sense. <laughs> Anyway, Sydney tries to convince the detectives that her sister's innocent as CSI finds the remainder of the trophy that has been used as a knife, Gabriel's gloves, and his coat all in Maddie's attic. Pretty convenient. We cut to the interrogation room where Moss tells Maddie that she has her dead to rights right now due to all the evidence found in Dahmer's attic. <laughs> all her lines are good shit. They're all great. Moss leans in pretty hard, and Maddie tells Kakoa or Shaw, whatever I've been calling him, that he fought Gabriel the night before and that he knows it wasn't her. And he wants to know who the woman is because apparently the woman's in a coma and they don't, she's Jane Doe. They don't know who it is. And she says yeah. she also doesn't know. And then Moss leans a bit harder on Maddie. And Maddie starts to scream that she doesn't know as all the lights explode in the interrogation room. Shaw's phone rings, and he pulls it out as Maddie says, he wants to talk to you. You have got to be kidding me. It is, of course, Gabriel in his creepy-ass voice, so it can't be Maddie. She's sitting in the room, right? Psychic. Anyways, Moss is smart enough to hit record on the memo app on her phone, and Gabriel basically says he wants all his shit back. They took what was his, and Shaw asks why his stuff was in Maddie's attic. Was he trying to incriminate her? And Gabriel says, that dumb bitch didn't even know I was nesting in her attic. And Shaw wants to know if this was personal for her, and Gabriel wants to know if it was would have been personal for him had he punched a hole through his face with his knife the night before. And uh, <laughs> all good lines. All good lines. I love that whole scene. Yeah. Anyways, Gabriel's true identity is finally revealed. I'm a figment of her imagination. <laughs> Just kidding. It's another little crumb there. <laughs> and Gabriel asks what Maddie used to call him. And she looks up because she's been in that little fucking stupor that she goes in sometimes. And she looks up and creepily says, the devil. Dun, dun, dun. Still at this point in the movie, I hadn't figured out what the fuck was going on, to be honest with you. Theories. Theories abound. They were all incorrect. <laughs> but really, after you've seen the movie, you realize she's in a trance the whole time because Gabriel's using the brain to talk because they share a brain and they can't both work at the same time. Until later. Yep. True. We see Sydney and mom doing some research and Sid finds out where the Simeon research facility was and drives out to that creepy ass fucking cliff. And 
it's randomly dark when she gets there because it's not dark when she's pulling up. And the place is abandoned <laughs> and ran down. That. Yeah. And of course, the records are kept in the basement, which she's not pleased about because she knows that's where fucked up shit happens in movies. And for some reason, this place has been spray painted and looted to shit, but nobody fucked with the records room. It's nice to see that today's youth can respect HIPAA. <laughs> so if we add another lesson oh. to the episode, always respect HIPAA. And it's okay to not respect OSHA laws if you yell parkour while you do it, right? These are the important lessons here from the show. <laughs> this show is a work of entertainment. We cannot be sued for anything stupid that we say if you do it. <laughs> we be sued every episode. <laughs> do not follow any advice given by these two jackasses. <laughs> at this point, we're going to cut back and forth rapidly between Sydney at the facility Sydney at her mom's house, the detectives at the station, and Maddie getting put in the pen. Oh, and the ICU, but we'll get there. Third act warning. Dun, dun, dun. It is true that after four days of listening to an episode of the Slice by Slice podcast, we can hit the third act of the first film. <laughs> Nobody knew they were sitting down for a director's cut of all the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movie marathon when they signed up for this episode. But next week... <laughs> By next week, we mean next quarter, to be honest here. Be sure to tune into our Halloween episode. <laughs> oh, no, let's not do that because then we're at the end. Anyways, <laughs> let's let's keep all, all three listeners here. Let's keep it going. Um, I'm just kidding. We love all of you. Maddie gets locked up in gin pop, and you can tell that everyone's out of place and out of time and out of era in the scene. I think it was just to do throwbacks to 80s movies and Jollo flicks because you have people dressed in like 70s outfits with the cheetah skin and the froze. You have Zoe Bell, acclaimed stunt yes. actress with a most heinous mullet. And I don't I don't know why Zoe Bell is randomly in here. Quentin Tarantino didn't make this movie. <laughs> and she's a great stunt actress, but she's not doing the stunts because she's not a contortionist. No, she's just there. She's a bad bitch. I didn't look to see if she was a stunt coordinator, though, because she does that more now than the actual stunts because she is older and, like you know, body parts fall apart when you get old. Ah. But there's also a urinating princess, and I want to I wanna throw that in because I keep subtitles on when I'm taking notes, and there's a girl randomly peeing in the toilet in the cell, and it says in brackets the person's name in closed captionings, and all it says is urinating princess and then peeing sound. <laughs> <laughs> I really think some closed captioning people enjoy their jobs a lot. Watch season four of Stranger Things, the closed captioning's on, and the amount of times he says very wet and moist sound. <laughs> and then like Cthulhu like wet and moist sound and things like that. It's fucking hilarious. That is great. Anyways, oh my God, we're back to Stranger Things. This was like 17 hours ago. Sid finds Emma May's file explaining. That the twins merged in utero of the mother. And after reading that in the document, she finds a stack of VHS tapes to take home. And we hear some sounds like someone's watching her moving around in the records room. But once you know what's going on. Communism was just a red herring. Mom and Sid are watching the videos where Serena May is being interviewed, who we now know as Emma May, a.k.a. Madison's birth mother and she's very young in the videos we find out that she was raped and her mom would not help her in any way and she's at the institute to deal with the quote unquote abomination of a child she asked the doctors if they will please take care of emily if she signs off on this and 
Maddie's adopted mom, foster mom, whatever, is not happy because she was told that Serena died while giving birth. Lion, cock knockers. <sighs> we see the camera fixate on young Serena and then fade into the tour guide in the coma at the ICU. And we now find out that the tour guide is, in fact, Serena May, Madison's birth mother. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Shaw had a hunch about the underground after being led there by parkour and Gabriel. So we had Moss do a little bit of investigative work and they figured out that employee of the month had been missing. Whose name is Serena may all come together. But we cut back to mom and Sid as they watch a video of Emma slash Maddie being interviewed as a child about her being more aggressive recently. And she blames Gabriel who Weaver says is away right now. So she can talk freely. Weaver explains the twins and that one was stronger than the other one, fed on them when they were linked. And this is where we get the reveal that Gabriel is actually attached to the back of her fucking skull, which her mom and sister scream terrified of when they see on the video. Because it looks like basket case. <laughs> yes, it looks like basket case with modern special effects. We cut between Zoe Bell and her thugs picking on Maddie as we cut back to mom and Sydney watching additional videos of Gabriel and Emma. We can see that Emma knows what Gabriel sees and vice versa, but we don't get a full reveal yet of everything that's going on. The thugs start to beat the shit out of Maddie as her family sees them trying to affect Gabriel and him shorting out all the electricity in the hospital room or research facility room. And we see that's happening in the prison at the same time as Maddie's getting the shit beaten out of her and goes into a seizure. We find out at this moment that Gabriel can hijack Maddie's body at any time and that it would happen to her as a child, and you assume that's what's happening right now. You then find out that they cut out what they could of Gabriel and then forced the rest into her skull and sealed her skull back, right? Back at the prison, Maddie starts to scream as we hear the voiceover from Weaver with his reveal and grabs her hair and moves it out of the way and peels the back of her skull open and Gabriel's face and arms climb out. And then she pops backwards and all of her joints pop the wrong way. All practical, all amazing. And she murks everyone in the cell. And there's at least 20 people in the cell that we watch her viciously murder every single one of them. And it looks badass. Yeah. Jollo here, right? Leather gloves and murder. <laughs> this scene's at least practical. It's going to get a little iffy here in a minute. Not iffy. I know what happened. But I love the use of the contortionist and Zoe Bell's reactions actually sell it as she's yelling, oh, fuck, and people are getting snapped the wrong way. Yeah. Meanwhile. I'll turn it to Josh for a second. That's kind of weird. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of those soon. <laughs> Sydney calls Shaw, and as he and Moss pull into the precinct, and she tells him everything that she just found out through the files and tapes. We see that Gabriel is luring a guard to the, I don't know, the guard fucking sticks the gun through the jail bars. It's always bad in a movie, but the person has to get the key somehow. And they yeah. bash the guard's head in the bars and take the keys, get out and take the gun and shoot the other cops. I guess the cop felt like he was safe because there was other cops behind him with a gun, but Gabriel's a better shot once Gabriel got the gun. Anyways, Shaw and Moss hear the gunfire. Shaw says something about the mom being in ICU and hangs up the phone and they run with their guns up. We see CSI chick, Juan's wife, Ingrid Bisu, hiding in the evidence locker as she hears the carnage going on outside and she's crying. She's probably not armed. She's a CSI person. She hides as Gabriel comes in to get his pimp coat, his OJ Simpson era lambskin gloves, and his participation trophy. Juan's wife survives. He doesn't notice she's there. Shaw and Moss show up and there are dead cops. 
everywhere in the hallway. And then they go into the main part of the precinct where Gabriel is flipping through and killing everyone. There's a decent amount of practical in here, but there's a lot of CGI also. And the CGI CGI. is actually on par with Sony made Marvel movies like Morbius. I also watched Morbius during this break. It's Morbin time. I'm sorry. Matt Smith was the only saving grace of that movie. Um, (laughs) Daredevil movies with Ben Affleck. Look, it's that quality CGI, which... Maybe it's affordable in this day's budget, but they used a robot camera. It's on an arm that's programmed. It's like just jutting and flying across the room to catch the action of the other actors, the stunt people getting hit and flipping around and their arms snapping and stuff. And Gabriel flipping with CGI, but some of it's mixed in with the contortionists doing their thing. Anyways, long fight scene. Not going to go step by step. Just know Gabriel is vicious. And kills basically everybody except for Shaw and Moss because they ran in last. And... Shaw calls in for backup at some point, and she says, send the fucking National Guard, right? (laughs) Because she's watching, you know, the Matrix shit happen here. Yep. One thing of note is that Shaw sees the back of Gabriel as he's killing some cops, and it's just Maddie's face asleep, right? So that's when he's like, what the fuck? We also see Maddie, like, kind of jarring out of being unconscious in the cell, like she slumped over in the jail cell on the bench, but it's still locked, and there's dead cops in there where they're not the women she killed. So it's like she can kind of see what Gabriel's doing. But she's trapped in a prison yes. cell in her mind, right? Oh, foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're pretty much at the end of the film here because we see Sydney show up at the hospital. She goes to check on Maddie's mom, but a guard stops her because she's on police, you know, detail because she's a Jane Doe. And uh, yeah, the lights mess up and his fucking pacemaker explodes in his chest because something interfered with it. <laughs> Looks badass, was original once again, as far as I know. And. Gabriel appears as the power comes back on after the the blowing pacemaker and Gabriel starts talking to the intercom to Sydney and says that she was supposed to be last because this all happened because it was her fault, right? And we see Maddie in Gabriel's head begging him to stop from hurting her sister. And that doesn't get his attention, but Serena May waking up from her coma and saying that she's so sorry for what she did to her son and she shouldn't have given him up does snap Gabriel out because mom says she loved him and wanted him. Shaw randomly runs into the hospital room and busts a couple of caps in Gabe as Gabriel chunks the fucking trophy knife down the room into fucking Shaw's shoulder and takes him down, right? So at least it's shoulder shot. He's going to make it. We'll be there for the sequel, babies. (laughs) He one-handed grabs, like, the exam table, which should be very heavy, and just flips it through the air, crushing Sydney into the wall and floor, and she's bleeding out of her mouth now due to the internal bleeding from the weight. It's going to be important in a minute. And she starts begging Maddie to wake up and says that Gabriel killed all of her babies because he had to feed off of embryos in utero to survive, and that's why she had so many miscarriages, and the only reason why he was able to survive enough until the head injury broke him out, right? And don't foreshadowed pretty well through the movie and when you hear that you're like what the fuck that's some dark shit and um, <laughs> Very dark. we can see maddie starting to get some finger control of the body but gabriel managed to blow sydney's fucking brains out with shawl's gun and then suffocate and choke the mom to death or did he you find out that maddie took over the body and the mind and she made gabriel see what she wanted him to see and she's in control now. We see the, the world morph into the inside of the jail cell, but everything's black other than the bars. And she says that she can do all the tricks he can because they use the same brain this whole time. And she's figured it out. And we can see that Gabriel's body's actually like 
bent all backwards over the table, holding the gun on Sydney's head while Sydney's looking around like, what the fuck? Because Gabriel's not moving because the internal monologue's happening right here. And he hasn't actually blown out the brains. He's just been tricked. Yep. And she basically gives Gabriel the Nightmare on Elm Street speech about how she's taking it all away from him. Right. <laughs> and that's uh, what it is. yeah, it's, it's what happened. And she's going to lock him away. And we can see that Sid and Mom are both actually alive, and Maddie's able to flip the table off of Sydney because she tells Sydney it was her body the whole time. So I guess it's supposed to be like Mom with kid stuck in her car can flip core over natural phenomenons yeah. that happened before, right? And Maddie ends the conversation with Gabriel by letting him know that she understands he might come back one day, but this time she'll be ready for him. She then tells Sid that she longed for a relationship with a real family member and never realized that she always had it. The end. Oh, there's a lot of cool shit that happened in this movie. A lot of original stuff. Nice throwbacks to other horror films. I love going from the haunted house movie to the creature feature, Jalo Slasher, who done it, whatever the fuck we're going to call it. I love thinking that the bad guy killed people at the end, but he was actually getting mind fucked like he had been doing to her her whole life. I like the drip yeah. feed of the babies dying in utero. I don't like the fact the babies died, but I mean like the the miscarriages. And then you hear in the medical files about what happened with Emma in, in utero and things like that. And the head injury and anytime something fucked up happens, if you pay attention, there's always blood in her hair and on the on the pillows or the floor or wherever she is. Everything was really well done. You had the whole movie explained in the credits. And if you didn't get it, the seeds and breadcrumbs were left there for you the entire time. Yep, to lead you to the end, and most people still didn't get it, including myself. And I watched the most batshit crazy fucking film I've ever seen in my life, and it was awesome. Thank you, James Wan, <laughs> for this work of art. All well done. I can remember, like, when we talked about it, when saw it in the theater, and I'm like, it wasn't bad, but man, that CGI in the police station, and kind of a what the fuck did I just watch? Like, you know, mm-hmm. it gets to the end, and it's like, oh, okay, I'm connecting the dots now. Second watch, knowing, knowing what to look for. Much better. No plot holes that I can remember. No. You know, usually when you have a movie like this and you go back on a second watch, like, yeah, but that scene right there wouldn't have worked. They all work. Yeah. No, no, no. There's no, no plot holes that you could drive a truck through or anything like that. And it's, it's, it's just an hour and a half of Juan being Juan. And you can see so much of his, his own shit and his own, like you said, what he said he wanted to make out to do. Like he wanted to make a movie for the horror fan in him and him taking everything he's learned, everything he's been able to do and kind of shove it into something and doing it in not a, this is my magnum opus type way, but doing it. In a, right. You haven't seen shit like this type way. Um, which basket case is, is a reach man. Cause that's a fucked up premise, but a shitty movie. I think they even did a sequel. There's probably been a, shitty I think movie there's two too, basket cases. If I remember correctly, great angle, fun, breath of fresh air with everything that's going on with all the fucking sequels and reboots like you said and, and one that if you're like me and i do this a lot and you watch it if you've watched this movie once you're like man it's all right like watch it again go along for the ride there's some rigid acting in there and i don't know if it's because we're supposed to have a detached main character because of what's going on to her and it's just played that angle i'd say it has to be because we've seen her enough shit at this point right well, that's the thing. When you were going going through her credits, I was that was one of my biggest gripes. Like, why is our lead so damn rigid? Like, this feels like one of those. You know, we only have enough money for one take, and we got we got one take. Move, <laughs> move on. But I don't know if that's it. I wonder if it's supposed to be that struggle and that I don't I don't have control of my entire mind right now type deal. If that's if that's really what that's supposed to be, that's that's deep. I think I think the rigidness was supposed to be her toughness to showcase. Like, she doesn't remember being a kid. She had a fucked up, crazy, imaginary friend. She's had a lot of 
miscarriages as an adult and an abusive husband. And she just at this point doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> like, I think she was tougher no, I, than you usually see your heroine start out in the movie. She started out as what your final girl normally turns into by the end of the movie, but she just started out there at the gate. Yeah. And she's psychic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she has to be. She yeah. has to be. To some extent. Talking yeah. through radios and shit. Yeah. Yeah. She just didn't know she could do that. It's a neat party trick. Yep. Now that you've enslaved your, your brother into a, uh, in a, into a pen. Yep. Yep. She can, she can transfer Bitcoin like nobody's business and doesn't have to hurt anyone. She's going to have it made. <laughs> Well, that's it for part one of our Juan and Flanagan Revisited episode. This was not planned to be a two-parter, but with us being behind, the time in between episodes, and the length of this one, it seemed like the best course of action. So you will have to tune in on the next episode for part two of this series when we cover Mike Flanagan's Dr. Sleep. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at SBS Podcast. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. You know, you just got to be bold. You got to take chances because if you don't, you end up making the same old thing again and again.